This is the SFF Audio Podcast. Hi, I'm Jesse. Hi, I'm Evan. Hi, I'm Will. And we're going to talk about The Pre-Persons by Philip K. Dick. First published in Fantasy and Science Fiction, October 1974. There's a little... uh, editorial intro uh, at the top on the original magazine publication. It says, Philip Dick's 34th SF novel, Flow My Tears, the policeman said, was recently published by Doubleday. This story, written especially for this issue, is the first appearance here, uh, is his first appearance here since, quote unquote, The Electric Ant in our 20th anniversary issue. I believe Electric Ant is, well, it's, I guess, uh, (laughs) It's um, 71 or 70. Yeah, it, it was quite late. It's not public domain. Like this story, not public domain. Um, one of his best stories, I think. I haven't read it since forever, but uh, it's one we should cover at some point. Um, you could would... have covered it instead of this one. <laughs> no, I had this one on my desk. I, we need to deal with yeah. it. Yeah, I, 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 I have a lot to say. I, 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 I'm... Don't seem to hate this story. Like, I can see why someone would hate it, especially uh, if you just well, if it. they, I mean, yeah. if they just read it as an abortion story, and, yeah. And so don't what's, like, what's, don't like abortion, then yeah, there's a lot to hate about this story. I suppose, it's yeah, I think politically incorrect, but there's so much more going on in this tale. I was thinking Paul might have a problem with this story, and I think he might not be able oh. to get past it because of how hard it is right like um i'm not convinced i can get past my problems with this story but i'm here today to to talk about it with you all well Well, let me read the opening paragraph here yeah past the grove of cypress trees walter he had been playing king of the mountain saw the white truck and he knew it for what it was he thought that's the abortion truck come to take some kid in for a postpartum down at the abortion place we're already in, uh, you know, through the looking glass or down Alice's rabbit hole or whatever. We're already there. And it seems to be a story about abortion. And I think it it largely is, at least in, uh, at least in one way. But I think the problem that a lot of people have with abortion, and I know there's some shit happening with the U.S. Supreme Court, blah, blah, blah. Um, a lot of the people have with the with the problem of abortion is tied up in other stuff that he's talking about in here too, and I think that's part partly why he's sort of interested in it, and also probably personal life stuff. <laughs> so what do you got, what do you got, Evan? I know you're champing at the bit. Well, I, I think there is the personal stuff. I think where I have problems with this story is really the the way men are presented and the way women are presented, mm. and that's really the heart of my trouble with the story. Mm-hmm. I don't actually, whatever commentary it's making on abortion, I, I'm not hostile to that argument. I think the argument he's making is pretty good if you're going to, I mean, just to argue that a line at three months or four months or nine months or mm-hmm. eight, whatever, it's arbitrary. And he's saying, 
it seems to him to be arbitrary, and he's just imagining a, a, a world in which that line is set somewhere else. It's a reductio added certain with that. I kind think, of. Right? I think we do th- do this arbitrary borders with children all the time. Sure. And we say, oh, you, you can't vote till you're 18, or you can't drink till you're 21, or you have to go to school until this age. Um, or you can't take algebra until this grade, but you know, it's, we do this all the time to children and it disempowers them. And it's, I think that's really what the story is about for me is the ageism of, of adults oppressing children. The, the Wikipedia entry has got some wrong things about it. What will, what do you got? What do you got in your mind about this story? Well, you know, like, so I'm like going to take like like a moment of privilege since it's my birthday the day we're recording Happy this. Happy birthday. Uh, yeah. 35. Yeah, 35. This is my presidential year, so mm-hmm. um, you know, uh if uh Biden's they need to got to replace Kamala so he can appoint yeah, you. Well, I mean, I'm like I, I feel like I'm as youthful as Pete Booty Judge in some kind of way. Um, um, I'm, I'm not a Democrat, but if they if they wooed me, you know, yeah, I could. I everybody could on them. the left is the same. I, I get these people on Twitter saying uh, uh, <laughs> communism and Democrats are the same thing. I'm like, uh huh, uh huh. So maybe. yeah, that's it, it. Totally is. That's that's the secret. Um, um, but anyway, um, I, I mentioned that it's my birthday because I remember last year on my birthday, mm-hmm. we did a different book, um, Dream Snake, which nice. is, you know, I feel like I feel like I might overlap with some of Evan's issues with the way that men and men are presented and women are presented in the story because um, I like I take issue with his like, um, you know, like arguments against abortion here. Um, you know, he's he's making this like argument about the arbitrariness of the line, but he's not like addressing like, you know, what a good thing abortion is in my opinion. Um, and you know, that's, that's, um, you know, we'll put that to the side for the moment, but, um, you know, why do women want abortions in this, in this story? Right. Like what is the, what is the reason? They're fashionable. They're fashionable. (laughs) They're fashionable. They're fashionable. Something to talk about. Because she's fashionable. And I want to, I want to, I want to send the me- I want to read the message I sent to Marissa after mm-hmm. she told me she wasn't going to be on the story and she um said she was halfway through it and she hated it. Mm-hmm. And I said, "I don't think you need to finish it." No. You sort of shot Now, I I think I, I agree with what I said here and I'm just okay. going to read this. I don't think you need to finish it. He's sort of shot his wad by the time he's got the mom wanting an abortion because it's fashionable and the dad explaining that emasculating women actually just want to kill everything. So, I think if you like read this story it's like the version of philip k dick before he's like accepted that he needs to like submit to joanna russ in some kind of way Mm. um Mm -hmm. and um so if you like actually want to get a sense of like what like women in like science fiction who have like a feminist bent like actually like you know what their motivations might be like maybe dream snake is like a better book to read than this um, not really like an equivalent book, but uh, doesn't really deal oh, with that, abortion. That's by Joanna Russ. Yeah, you're right. No, it's not by Joanna Russ. No, it's by Vonda McIntyre. Oh, Vonda McIntyre. All the women are the same. I got. Yeah, it. E- exactly. Well, they all they all are. 
They're trying to emasculate me. I got it. They're not just emasculate. They want to go to the waters of Canada and chew up all of the fish (laughs) because they just want to destroy everything. And they want to keep their like little commemorative fetus or or embryo. Yeah. So they can pass it around at the wine and cheese event. Yeah. Like, so I don't really, um, so I think this story is, is like really messed up for it's, it's just, um, I told Marissa that I thought it was next level misogynist. Like I, I will stand by that statement. Um, Ish. Uh, yeah, I, I would agree with you. Yeah, and the uh, but you know I also do think that like abortion is like like a good and important thing. Like it's like allows women to have control of their bodies. And you I, know this story is uh, a direct response to this story is a direct response to Roe v. Wade in some kind of way. If it's published in 1974, Roe v. Wade is 1973. Mm. Well, we have um, Dick's notes actually. So okay. Oh, okay. Are, uh, so I'd like to. I'll I'd read like to hear it. About I, that. So here's what he wrote. This this is I don't know where these notes were originally published. They're in the fifth volume of the selected stories or the collected stories um which and they're in the back where some if he had some commentary on a story they included this um and i don't know where that was originally published but here's here it goes in this the most recent of my stories in this collection i incurred the absolute hate of joanna russ who wrote me the nastiest letter i've ever received mm-hmm. at one point she said she usually offered to beat up people she didn't use the word people who expressed opinions such as this. I admitted that the story amounts to special pleading, and I'm sorry to offend those who disagree with me about abortion on demand. I also get some unsigned hate mail, some of it not from individuals, but from organizations promoting abortion on demand. While I've often managed to offend people when I, by what I write, drugs, communism, and now an anti-abortion stand, I really don't know how to get myself in hot water, or I really know how to get myself in hot water. Sorry, people. But for the pre-person's sake, I'm not sorry. I stand where I stand. Hirstek ik ikanik anders, as Martin Luther is supposed to upset. <laughs> so the- Philip, K- you know Philip K. Dick wrote this. <laughs> this is yeah. such a Philip K. Dick move. <laughs> Keep going. So he's that, that's the whole thing. He's, okay. He says. Uh, so he's he's saying this is an abortion a story about abortion. Yeah, it is an abortion a story it. about abortion. And, absolutely, but I think there's more going on yes. in the story that uh, makes that attracts me to the tale. That's that's my position. But I do agree with Will that it's incredibly misogynistic and the way they he presents women here. It's kind of a lot of it's what we come to expect from Philip K. Dick. <laughs> I mean, he's been writing women this way for a while. Since in the fifties, you, since the you 50s, like wonder I mean, why Joanna Russ like like spends time on him, right? Like <laughs> oh, it's wow. like, I no. mean, I understand, but like you know, it, it it speaks it speaks highly of Philip K. Dick that she like that she even bothers, right? Like, <laughs> wow, it, you know, it, it, you have to bother because it's Philip K. Dick. He's he's a he he's got some ideas, man, right? Well, yeah, and yeah. this is a, this is a powerful story, even if it's very silly in many respects. And also, uh, uh, so one one of the things I was I was saying earlier is is that it's a reductio ad absurdum, right? The idea of yeah. of you know <laughs> if you can have uh, pre uh, pre birth abortion, you can have post birth abortion. Um, I, I actually am in favor of infanticide. I think it's a good idea. Um, probably in the same way that Will th- thinks abortion's a good idea. Um, however, most people are not willing to go that extra step. Um, <laughs> I'm not also in favor of, uh, you know, it 
concluding up to age, uh, what, 37 or whatever the guy's age, the dad is in here who gets on the bus, uh, or not the bus, the, uh, gets on the truck with his kid. Um, I think that that's again, a reductio ad absurdum, but, um, when will you say that Abortion is uh what is it unreservedly good thing? Is that am I misquoting you? I'm willing to say that it's an unreservedly good thing. I'm Aha, not saying I trapped that, you. Okay. Oh yeah. I mean, <laughs> so unreservedly people don't consider it complicated when they're getting one, but like it's like uh here's what know. I would say. Um when you get like you're walking down the street and somebody shoots a an arrow into your arm and you say, Ow, and the arrow's in your arm, and you say, I need to go to the hospital now. So you go to the hospital, and as they're pulling out the arrow out of your arm and bandaging it up, um, we wouldn't say it's an unreservedly good thing to uh, have arrows pulled out of your arm. What we would say is, it's necessary, it's important that you have access to these services, and um, it's a good thing that you can get these services. But we wouldn't say that having arrows pulled out of your arm is unreservedly a good thing. It's sort of, it's sort of getting like, uh, injuries are a bad thing, right? And so a remedy to an injury, a remedy to an error, a remedy to a mistake, a, uh, uh, repair to a, to damage is always a good thing. Right. So I, I think that's sort of like where part of the slippage happens. So Philip K. Dick, uh, let's assume, I don't know the personal situation. He impregnates some lady. Some lady uh, is participating in the impregnation. And then she says, oops, didn't use a condom. Oops, didn't use my birth control, my IUD failed, whatever. Um, Don't want this kid. And Philip K. Dick's upset. And Philip K. Dick, of course, has no responsibility here. No, no. He absolutely has responsibility. He wants to take responsibility. But she doesn't. Now, that is where the problem lies, right? That is where at least one of the problems problem lies is that the fact that anybody can uh, abort uh, a fetus that's inside of her um, is a problem for him because that thing is alive and it wants to live. That's basically part of the argument that's going on here. So if you if you but I, I think you but I think you you've pointed to uh, like your example makes the argument um, like your example doesn't work with your argument and here's why it's not just it's not just that something's inside of her and he and it wants to live it's that something's inside of her and Philip K Dick wants it to live. Um, I agree. I agree, and and I think those are different things. I agree. I, I agree. However, um. One of the really interesting things that happens very early on in this story is the kids are standing around saying how terrible it is that that abortion truck comes and tries to take them away. I, I love those aspects of the story. Um, I agree that Philip K. Dick is kind of mistaken. Uh, but notice it's all talk, right? So he says, I want to firebomb the abortion clinic. I want to uh, firebomb the abortion truck. I understand these these problems if you're feeling very strongly on this issue. Actions are much different than desires, right? A- actions versus desires. So Philip K. Dick's frustration comes out in the form of a story rather than out in the form of a firebombing, 
right? An actual firebombing. And when they talk about... That would what, be something other people would do, like, maybe after reading this story, or like, you know, they probably don't need this story to come to that conclusion, but like... No, that, it's on just the thinking... Spectrum. Yeah, look, uh, there are crazy people, and if if somebody says something on TV, crazy people often take things that are outside of their mind and take them in. I mean, n- normal people do this too, right? Yeah, absolutely. And they take something that's outside of their mind and they bring it in and they say, this is a true thing. So yes, you can absolutely give people ideas. Uh, if you have a computer game that has guns in it, it could absolutely cause people to uh, want to play with guns in real life. Absolutely. But there's a big difference between the two. And uh, saying we can't have... Like, I don't think even, Will, you would say, nobody should read this story. It should be banned. Of course, I don't think you would say that. Um, no, I don't, I don't think But I think banned, some people would. I think would. the only reason to read this story is to, like, like explore Philip K. Dick. Like, that's the only reason I'm interested in this story is because Philip K. Dick wrote it. Like, if, like... Well, it's, yeah, if but, somebody else wrote this story, I would like be much less interested in it and would just be like, nobody should read it. It's funny that you say that. I, I, one of the things that happened um, when I went searching, uh, somebody, somebody said that uh, Ben Shapiro wrote uh, a short story collection and they were ripoffs of three stories. One of them was Harrison Bergeron, uh, which uh, is a story I've, I've had a problem with for a long time. Uh, uh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> On the other hand, uh, I kind of see some things in it uh, as a satire that I I didn't see before. I was like, "This is so fucking stupid." And this I thought happened. of Harrison Bergeron when I was reading this story. Yeah, it is kind of Harrison Bergeron-y. Um And then uh, he also wrote one <laughs> a ripoff of the Pre-Persons, which I think is pretty funny because I can't imagine Ben Shapiro is a great writer. <laughs> <laughs> and Philip K. Dick's characters in here are awesome, even if you don't like <laughs> what they're saying or what they're doing um, or the setup that the author puts puts them all into. Uh, but I want to go back to that scene where the kids are standing around talking about uh, poor uh, what, what, Fleischhacker <laughs> being taken away uh, by the truck. Uh, one of them steps on a bad bug. A bad bug. Not a good bug. A bad bug. Phil K. Dick put that in there because kids do that all the time, right? They just step on bugs. Why? Well, that, that's bad. That's the thesis, isn't it? I mean, there, there's a level of this story where it's 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 kind of about animals in a way too, right? Of it's, course. The, the, it keeps coming back to this. This is how we round up cats. This is how we round up dogs, yep. right? The use of the word pound. Yep. Um, and... We do the same arbitrary lines with animals, right? We yep. we have laws protecting dogs and cats, and like Madison in Wisconsin just passed a law saying you can't de you know declaw cats. Oh, good thing, right? But you know, murdering male chicks five minutes after they're hatched in a in an egg factory, it's still fine. Murdering. <laughs> no judgment there. <laughs> um, yeah, but, but, but that's, that's, that's the Dick scene, right? So yes, the, the kids did murder the bug. Yes, right. They killed. They and, killed the bad bug. But also back to their their talk about firebombing in mm-hmm. the world of this story. Mm-hmm. This truck is oppressing young people. Oh yes, that's what that's the and, overstatement. And so it's they're right to say we should firebomb the 
the, the abortion truck. Yeah, no, what's so funny is that this is, this is Philip K. Dick making Evan's argument, right? That the, <laughs> that the uh, world population bomb problem is bullshit and that that's not really the problem. And Evan's always going on about how what we actually need is more people, not less people. <laughs> Yeah, I think we need more people. Right. I, I think so. That's exactly what Philip K. Dick's arguing, right? In this, um, and I'm glad Will didn't say abortion is a is a good because we need fewer people. No, I'm not a I'm not yeah. a misanthrope. I don't believe in that. I think that's just basically a classist argument. Yeah, yeah, we can agree on that. Which is a part of the story too, right? It and is the poor who can't afford the documents, and, and yeah. Don't uh, do what, the one of the things I noted the, about the what was the what was the boy who gets put in the truck. Uh, Visual, we we see him being put in the truck with his dad. I can't remember. Ed Ed is his dad, very philokidic name. Anyways, um, that little six year old boy, he's like, is there a cat in there? Because <laughs> he likes cats. At least he can spend time with the cats. Um, when he he's uh being described by the horrible ice cream man <laughs> who kidnaps kids and takes them to be reverse gassed right have the l- vacuumed the air sucked out of their lungs horrible right um very deliberately done by philip k dick i think all of this comes out of an honest position it's not a religiously uh you know doctrine that the pope told him um it's quite the opposite he's operating in the same logic but one of the things that Ice Cream Man says um, when judging the boy and calling him an ice cream man, he's not – it literally is an ice cream truck, right? <laughs> but, well, they have the good humor music. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Instead of being uh, – this is such a philokatic move. Instead of being excited by the ice cream truck, you run away and hide in the, <laughs> in the blackberry brambles to avoid the ice cream man's gaze. Um, anyways, he's, when he's judging this boy, he notes two things. One, he's skinny. That is not in his favor. He's probably a stray. On the other hand, he notices he has glasses, which means somebody cares for him. Now, today in 2021, uh, we don't think about, uh, orphanages very much, right? In 1974, orphanages were still around, of course, but not very much in the United States, um, I, I, somebody mentioned recently the, uh, Ceausescu, was it the Romanian orphan orphanages and how they were all, you know, there was this a sort of like brief news. This is before your time. Will <laughs> Evan might remember there was like a, uh, thing in the news about all these poor Romanian orphan orphans who are being adopted by Westerners as, uh, we got a peek behind the iron curtain at how, how horrible communism was or whatever. Um, you remember this, Evan? Yeah, vaguely. Yeah, it's pretty vague, right? Uh, well, I mean, it, there's always this element to these international abortions. It's like, oh, we're we're uh, international unwanted children all running around the third world that That's right. need uh, the white saviors to That's right. adopt them. Uh, well, and and there are childless couples who want children, and these are children in need. Who do you want to adopt? Do you want to adopt the cute puppy from the puppy mill, or do you want to? Adopt the stray that you found under your porch, Will. Oh, right. we we adopted some strays recently. So right, that's uh, so like these are real issues. But going well, back, I think 100- there's a deeper issue here, and which I don't know if Philip Dick really wants to get into, mm-hmm. but I sort of want to is like 
when you have like the one woman wants the abortion because it's fashionable, and I think somewhere else it's like presented like the is a burden, right? So mm-hmm. just do it. It's a convenience not yep. to have the kid anymore, right? Right. Well, if we had institutions, if we had, you know, if if having children wasn't a burden, right? It wouldn't be a decision. Abortion wouldn't be as used as often, right? Right. If it if it's like if you if don't you don't have you people do shooting you arrows on the, the street fam- all the time. You need the family to raise children. I don't, I don't know. There's some utopian fiction. I do this right. Yeah, I think raise yeah, them Ursula, in a, raise them in an institution. I don't the, know if that's ideal. The, the, Maybe there's some moderate position, but like the way it is now is like it's really expensive to raise a kid, and that goes into people's thought when they have an abortion. Hundred percent. Right. So uh, my solution, right, is you you don't have the archery range right next to the sidewalk, right? So that when you're walking down the street, you don't you don't have as many injuries. Now, does that mean that nobody's ever going to get accidentally shot with arrows? No, people will still get accidentally shot with arrows, and they sh- rightly should, because having a bow and arrows is a perfectly legitimate thing. But children need to be taught how to. Never load your arrow before you point it at some object that you're aiming and only taking careful aim. Basically, I'm making an analogy for gun rights, you know. Um, and the same thing is, is true. Like, you don't, you don't hand uh, bows and arrows to three or four year olds, especially, you know, I don't know, crossbows or something, because they need to uh, be educated to the level. So there's this whole level where, like, our thinking about why abortion is necessary is broken, right? So some people are just not able to discuss this at all, right? It's just like they, I, I'm, I think I'm feel I'm being uncharitable. I would say like if Paul were here, he's very pro uh, abortion rights, which I think you know is the right position. But I think he's so pro that he won't even listen to uh, why some people are against, right? So some people do it out of religious conviction. The Pope tells them it's a bad thing, therefore they just do what the Pope says. Other people do it because they think the population needs more people. Other people do say it because they think it's racist, right? And perhaps in the way it's been implemented, it could be racist. Or they think it's uh, not fair because it's classist, the way uh, some people are forced to get abortions and others uh can't get access to birth control, et cetera. There's many possible ways of engaging. Or uh, I guess I, I would also just throw in like when you have states encouraging it, like you know, yes. India or China yes. even more extremely. China is a really good that's, example. That's a part of the story that I think needs to be addressed is that this is state policy. Yes. Uh, this is all tied up in what the government's doing. And I think that the stuff about, like, so one of the things that's amazing in this story is we get a description of of the mom uh, for uh, Walter, Walter's mom. She becomes, she essentially becomes a, a soulless robot at one point. And then later on, she's uh, more reasonable. But there, I also got the sense that, oh, <laughs> She was. I, I thought at one point maybe Walter was a robot, because one of the things she says to him is, um, "I've reduced your stress. Uh, I've reduced your stress level or threshold." You remember that part? 
Yeah, didn't mm-hmm. she give him some kind of medicine or something? I well, I think she just by talking to him. It doesn't say she gave him some medicine. Right? Okay. It doesn't yeah. say right. she reached out and put a dial, turned a dial down on him. What it does say is that uh, I've reduced your stre- uh, maybe stress or pain threshold. I think it's stress threshold. And he acts as if his stress threshold has been reduced. And part of that is what we do as, uh, I was going to say parents, as adults, we talk to kids about how um, to cope with problems in their lives, right? L- look, you're stressing out about this, don't worry so much. Um, on the other hand, there's whole ways of looking at this story that are completely unrelated to the topic of particular horror, which is abortion and uh, aborting adults and <laughs> Uh, you know, such. And I want to get to those, but I think that to ignore uh, what is a real reality of, of, you know, human biology and animal biology is also crazy. And so we need to just think for a minute. So 100 years before this story is written, 1874, orphanages were common in North America and in uh, Europe, right? It was like the standard thing. Today, orphanages basically do not exist in North America, as far as I am aware. They do not exist. So what happened? Well, The foster care system. Foster care system is a big part of that, right? There's also uh, a reduction in um, unwanted births, right? So generally what would happen is if you get an orphanage, it's either because the parents died, which is very unlikely both parents die and the kids suddenly show up and don't have any relatives. The children are given up to the church anonymously, left on doorsteps. There's a whole uh, play by Oscar Wilde that has this as a, the central premise, right? And it's a, it's done very cutely, left in a Gladstone bag, right? At the, found at the <laughs> found at the uh, train station left in a Gladstone bag. There was the little baby, right? And it's a cute little story that we can sort of talk about. But what was the association with have? Why are people leaving these children? And you know, there's like whole things going on with women being shamed to have had a baby out of wedlock. Right? It's like a horror. Now. Philip K. Dick's story here is saying women will possibly, uh, in future, if such uh, circumstances exist, think it fashionable to get an abortion. Now, I got to tell you, it seems very unlikely, right? But I don't think it's necessarily, and maybe that's not what Philip K. K. Dick was going for. I don't think that's necessarily unreasonable to think that that might be true. And here's, here's why. People do all sorts of shit, and people do all sorts of shit largely because of what other people around them are doing. So, why do you become a vegan? Well, it's because other people became vegans and they talked to you about it. Why do you go to university? Well, other people went to university and they talked to you about it. There are incentives that the government can put in, and norms, these things that are outside the law, right? The norm of what you need to do. And 
It is ridiculous from our point of view to imagine women pridefully going around telling everybody, I'm getting an abortion. I just need to get pregnant. But as soon as I do, I'm going to get an abortion. That seems absolutely ridiculous, right? But it is not out of the realm of possibility. And saying that it is, isn't sort of taking humans seriously because we do all sorts of fucking weird shit and a lot of it is not based on you know our our deeply thinking through things rather it's based on how much advertising we've got and what the norms around us are and advertising does influence in the same way that people telling you to watch a tv show influences you advertising that the tv show exists and that it's a the hot new show right now will make people watch it that isn't I think just, you're just wrong in context, Jesse. I like, don't know. I, I, uh, I know that I Philip K. Dick may be arguing more like, for the he, like, women he's are... He's talking about the 70s, I think. Like, I mean, because he's talking about the pro-abortion lobby. Like, you know, there's been this, like, big court case that's happened. I he's, see like, it. contending with, um, you know, the the hate mail, et cetera, et cetera. I see. Um, he's, like, I think he, like, actually believes that women think having an abortion is, like, fashionable. No, no, no. He doesn't believe women think it's fashionable. He thinks that some women in this story, right? Not all the women in the story do this. Right? Are there multiple women in this story? I believe there's two. There's the mom and the... Uh, oh, no, I guess she's the same mom, isn't she? She's just saying, we're, yeah, yeah, there's we'll get a second abortion. One, like, yeah, so yeah. 100% of the women in this story <laughs> um, like believe that having an abortion is fashionable. Yeah, there's not that many um, characters in the story. It's and true. like 100% of the fathers are like protectors of babies that want to like, you know, make sure that they're okay and like can only not go to the safe country for babies because of the evil women. Evil woman. Well, the abortion <laughs> truck driver may be a father. Yeah, you're right. He could be a father. Um, well, he'd be happy. He just, he'd be perfectly happy. He just believes what the state says that certain people aren't. And people, look, this is has happened. I mean, that's where I'm sympathetic to Dick. I mean, there have been times in recent history, 20th century history, where states say these people aren't people, and yeah. people went along with that. Uh, no, I've talked. I, I I talked to or a guy. This group, I should say, this group aren't people. They would say, and then everyone goes along with it. I talked to a guy who used to be a, uh, I, I, you know, I know him pretty well, a guy who used to be a prison guard. And he, the way he talks about the guys in prison is like, it's, uh, he said, well, I guess they're all criminals. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's why they're in prison. Uh, but he doesn't know that, you know, most of them pled guilty uh, so that they would get a lesser charge and they never actually had a trial, right? Almost nobody in prison in the United States went there because they had a trial and they they uh <laughs> they were found guilty rather they pled guilty right yep so when he talks about the people in prison being criminals uh he is technically correct but he's missing a big part of the picture and it's cuz he do- he doesn't think deeply about these these issues now when you are arrested <laughs> and you are suddenly uh faced facing all these charges and you realize you can't afford a lawyer that can actually get you off like the rich people can, um, then what happens? Well, then you are suddenly faced with these thoughts that you should have been thinking before but couldn't because of your brain and the people around you and the fact that it's not well advertised that there's this massive problem, right? So 
I think it's the fact that our truck driver is a psychopath and he would be, what does he say, perfectly happy uh, delivering milk bottles, right? Re- returning milk bottles for a return. He'd be just as happy doing one or the other. That's the kind of mindset. It's like, it's a job, right? It's a, But in fact, you can see in a certain sense, he's a psychopath, right? He's like, look, he... He instinctively turns to look at the shotgun that can blow people to atoms and he's only, or to molecules or whatever. And he's only had to use it five times in his law enforcement career. When we say Philip K. Dick is a misogynist, he's also anti-men at that moment, isn't he? Not really. It's different, Jesse. I don't agree, Will. Like, because you have like one woman in the story, and they're talking about like the nature of women. We're not talking about the nature of men with this character. I don't think that like, that, I don't think that that's true. That we're talking about the nature but no, of women. No, we talk about the, no. I think we're talking the, about the, the nature talks of about the nature of women, Jesse. Like, yeah, but the like, story is talking about the, the nature of the state. This no, is all about the state. About, the father talks about the nature of women. He talks about the emasculating women. They just want to kill everything. Yes, that character says that. Yeah, I mean, he's a perspective character for Dick in the story. He's like a he's a reliable character. I think they're all perspective characters for Dick. I I understand why there's the focus on that, right? Because she, him he, he is it's most like it's he is most like that character. I agree, but he's also the little boy, and he's also the psychopath in the the ice cream man's truck. And he's also the wife. And the fact that, you know, women are not easy to understand by men, I think is just part of the picture, which is people are not easy to understand by other people, right? I I I think you're giving Dick a special pleading he does not deserve. Well, what's so interesting is that this is – this this story is such an interesting situation because it's not an article, right? It's a fictional situation that he set up so that he can deliver exactly what he wants, and it's immune to a certain kind of criticism, which is the kind that you would give for, to a regular article. It, it it has this nuance in it with the stepping on of the bug and the treating the way we treat animals. You, you see what I mean? Like, it's not just about abortion. In fact, one of the things I was thinking about uh, that's so important to this story is the idea about algebra being the test of whether we're human or not, or we have a soul or not. It, it's completely arbitrary, right? But as uh, as my mom was reading to this <laughs> to me yesterday, she says, "Jesse, you're in trouble." <laughs> and it's true, you know. Uh, I didn't I didn't graduate from high school, and the reason I didn't graduate from high school is I didn't have my grade eleven or grade twelve math. I just went to university instead. (laughs) The thing is, is when you're a little kid and they say, we're going to test you, your parents aren't there saying, you know what? Grades don't matter. They don't say that. They don't say, you know what? It doesn't matter if you fail this exam. And more importantly, all the people around you don't think that that's true either. They all think it matters too. All the other kids want to know what your score was. The teachers are disappointed with you and you aren't trying hard enough or whatever if you get a bad mark. So when I was saying at the beginning uh, of our show, which may or may not be an end thing, about how I got a really good mark on my castle that I drew (laughs) when 
I was in drafting class, right? That was unusual that I would get a good mark. Is it because I'm uh, lacking a soul will that I can't do algebra? No. And Philip K. Dick knows that. So he knows that this is kind of a farce, right? He knows that the women in this, uh, the woman in this story that is casually talking about getting an abortion and thinking it's fashionable is kind of a farce. He is, I think, insightful enough, but he still has those resentful feelings. And if you say, you know, that's um, a misogynist, I say, okay, I guess, I guess it is, but that's not the end of the story. It's more like he's upset that this baby that he made with this lady, he can't control uh, everything. But that's sort of our situation on Earth as well. We can't really control the fact that we're born, right? It's just something that happens to us. And then we have to make all these decisions. Am I going uh, to eat meat? Am I going to step on that bug? Am I going to firebomb the abortion clinic? And if I do so, should I do it? Well, there are uh, babies in there that are being aborted. No, I shouldn't. What about those evil employees? No, I should probably not do that either. It'd be better to just, like, these are hard, hard things. So when you say uh, abortion is uh, unrestricted good or unreserved good, I would say it's like, yeah, healthcare is really important. I hope I never have to use it. Abortion clinics are very important so that we have skilled people so people don't die and we end up with babies all over the place that are, you know, being malnourished on the sidewalk and we have to take care of them, right? That would be terrible. And thus we make reforms. But when it comes to the government saying you have to get an abortion, you have to, the $90 license, right, for the kid seems completely unreasonable to us. But such things happen, just not about this particular thing, right? So that's why I'm saying, like, it's not only about, you know, shitting on women. I don't think that that's, I think that that's part of uh, the emotional response he had to a particular incident. Um, but that's a genuine response. You see what I'm saying? What do you think, Evan? I mean, I, I agree with Jesse's reading of it, basically. Although I'm, I'm probably the... Uh, the minority opinion about abortion here in general. What, I mean, what, I think it's not a. I think it's. I, I guess I agree with Jesse that it's it's good that it's there for for people who need it and it should be safe and all that. But I, you're not in favor of I mean, everybody I, getting an abortion. I'm not. I'm generally think there probably should be less abortion. Yeah, that's exactly. Uh, just like I'm saying, there should be less arrows in people's shoulders when walking down the street. It's not that yeah, you but shouldn't putting arrows arrows in the street, arrows shooting wildly into the street is is a bad thing, and I don't think indeed. Are, but sh- children should absolutely be allowed to play with bows and arrows, but they have to do it safely, and they have to do it in a place that won't cause injury, right? Until yeah. such time as the bows and arrows are needed to take back the government, etc. <laughs> and I also agree with Jesse that there's so much interest in the story beyond. The, oh, the it's question so interesting. Chris is like the use of the the soul is so fascinating here because, of course, 
religious anti-abortion people will talk about the soul and they'll say the soul is implanted at a certain time. And Dick doesn't give us like an atheist society nope. here. Yeah. A society that believes it's in a souls. Reagan society, right? Here. And of course, you know, theologians have debated this question of the soul for forever. Right. And you know, like, is it Aquinas who said like the soul enters the fetus at 80 days or 40 mm-hmm. days and, you know, abortions only murder after the quickening or something. Yeah, it's, it's, you know, and then 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 later on, it's not until the '60s that birth control becomes a no-no for the Catholic Church when the birth control pill was invented. So the religious institutions have kind of waffled on this question of when the soul enters the body or whatever. And so I think what he's doing here is kind of. Maybe he's kind of subverting this religious argument against abortion in a way. I want to. I want to. And tell I think you, it's a better argument that that these people want to live. There's a, there's this desire to live. I want to. I want to tell you some facts that you guys are probably not aware of. One is uh, abortion law in Canada. You guys, any idea what the abortion laws in Canada are? No. Uh, no, of course not, right? <laughs> because only you know Roe v. Wade gets tons and tons of attention. Nobody in Canada knows either. I do because I I took a course uh, on this shit and I learned it, and it's very interesting. There are no laws about abortion in Canada. There was a law a long time ago. It got struck down, and they meant to replace it, and they just never did. And part of it is it's kind of like a touchy subject, and. Part of it is like the problem of how to do it. But the the most interesting thing is we basically have a good version of what you have in the States currently, which is it's a, it's available on demand. Now, I know there's some states that uh, don't have yeah, it as not, on demand. Right? Yeah, it's, it's harder and harder to get. Um, yes, and it's, it goes state by state. And it's the same in Canada, right? So if you're in Nunavut, I'm sure it's a lot harder than in Vancouver, right? But what's interesting is the the uh, regulatory agency doesn't exist, but there are practitioners, right? The abortionists, abortion doctors, abortion nurses, um, and they have a bunch of rules that they follow even though they are not mandated by law. So if you went in there nine months pregnant uh, with a baby breech birthing, you know, arm sticking out, technically you have a, a legal right to have that baby aborted, right? Because it has not been born and it's not infanticide. Um, But you won't be able to find a physician who will do it. Now, is that ideal? Mm, Probably not. But it's relatively better than not having any abortion being legal. So there's no laws against uh, having an abortion uh, on, you know two minutes before uh, the baby's head pops out. No laws against it at all. But the practitioners won't do it. They just, you won't find anybody who's willing to do it because they think, you know, it's wrong. (laughs) So it's uh, so important in this story. And he goes on and on and on and on and on and on and on about British Columbia and Vancouver Island and all these places, you know, English Bay, like, that's him. This literally happened to him, right? He ran away to Canada, got invited to do a science fiction convention up here, and he basically ran away. And it was—it's a real incident in his life, like a 
mid- midlife crisis sort of situation. And he fell in love with a lady up here who was married to a guy and he got jealous and blah, 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 blah. So he's recounting that sort of part of the story. He was also, um, he pretended to be addicted to heroin in order to get some counseling. <laughs> Which normal. He, totally normal, right? Um, and, you know, and eventually he went back to the States. But the idea of... Did, did Dick ever do heroin? Do we know no, that? No, he didn't. No. He's, he's very forthright about... I mean, he's a liar, but he's forthright about his drug usage. And he's really paranoid about, like, drugs generally. Um, I, I, he doesn't strike me as a... Like, he doesn't seem like a heroin guy. No, and I don't think he was a heavy drinker either. And he rarely talks about alcohol, right? Um, I don't think he smoked. Um, I don't even think he was a big marijuana guy, which is interesting because you know he's he's uh, thought of as the drug uh, the drug writer. Um, he had a couple LSD experiences, but the important part is um, a lot of this story is taken from his own life, clearly. But the important part is all the empathy empathizing we do with these little kids, like seeing those kids in the back of the truck. Fucking horrible, right? Seeing them, he's been crying. He's, we see him hidden away there. The ice cream man says, get on the truck. Um, you'll, there are, there's another kid in there. It turns out there's more than one kid in there, right? But he's just trying to convince the kid to get on the truck. This is like a, com- he's like throwing every kind of argument he can to justify his feelings of having, pos- I assume, having his uh, kid aborted in his mind, right? A kid that that he didn't get to have a choice on. Or even if this is him thinking about it hypothetically as a situation, it is actually a very hard situation, right? If you uh, wanted to have a kid and you get into a fight with your spouse and she's so mad at you and she thinks that their, your relationship will never continue, uh that she gets an abortion, this is something you would regret, I would think, especially if you think you're going to get together, right, again, and that you want to raise this kid together or whatever. This is, a, you know, a striving of both males and females to have children. So when he's touching this hot-button subject, the fact that he uh, is so sensitive to the horror of the situation from almost every side, I think, um, the only real persons we don't get to hear about are the Church of the Watchers. I don't know who they are, right? There's a coal-powered, uh, was it Oldsmobile or something? Coal-powered Ford or something in the story. So this is set in some sort of future. Um, we don't know how they got there, but we do know people have all done all sorts of weird things, laws and legislations to change things. So... Could this story have been set in China during the one-child policy, Evan? Could have been, um, kind of, right? Except well, they don't abort. The, uh, they don't abort uh, uh, adult kids, but they find the parents, right? If you have an extra kid. Yeah, it's a. It was a fine, right? And the five hundred dollar fine. You know, this is th- that sort of thing where you l- have to have licenses and like. The fact that you're forced to go to school and there's consequences, like uh, Kamala Harris, one of the things she tried to do was uh, she was going to, uh, this when she was in California, she was going to try to uh, 
uh, have a, parents arrested for truancy, for their children's truancy, mm-hmm. right? The reason you do that is not because you're trying to help kids. It's because you think you're trying to help kids and you know better than everybody else. And the thing is, is you're a government official, but you're not the wisest person on the planet. You're sort of there because rich people sponsored you. <laughs> Some set of well, old people Well, I'm not like- thinking so much, Jesse, of, of the one-child policy. But yeah, it's- well, let's hear uh, you know, I was, I was covering this when I was teaching like Human Geo, and we're looking at uh, one stat we looked at across countries was uh, was it uh, ju- like juvenile uh, um, birth rate? Mm-hmm. You know, I think it's under nineteen or something. What you know, what percentage or what's the rate of of women who give birth before the age of nineteen or whatever, right? And in China, it was like like zero, near zero, right? And this is because, like, you don't see single mothers. You see divorced people raising kids sometimes, mm-hmm. but like, like a teenage pregnancy, you don't see happening. And or teen, teenage giving teenage women giving birth, you don't see happening very often. Or if it is, it's kind of hidden. Families kind of hide that. Yeah, it's embarrassing. But I also think, you know, the question the question I sort of had was. What's the teen pregnancy rate versus the the teen, you know, having children rate, right? And I'm sure it was higher, right? Um, it would almost have to be, but I think it may have been significantly higher, and it's because of abortions, right? So in China, if you're a young woman, you have a, you get pregnant, you know, it's off to the doctor with you, right? Mm-hmm. And is that their witch? I don't think it's about us being fashionable. It's just like all the social pressure is. You can't have a kid if you're unmarried. But there are things people so, do to their bodies that are done for fashion, right? Oh, yeah. This, that's the thing I want to get to on this is Dick is actually pretty obsessed with this question. He wrote a story back in the 50s called The Chromian Fence about people mm. who do these really radical body mods mm. and people who don't do it are deemed mentally ill. Mm-hmm. And actually undergo some kind of brainwashing. I forget the details of the story. Kind of like that. It's called the Chromian Fence, and it's it's dealing with like fashion in not quite the same way as this story, but but in similar ways. And you see it again and again in his stories too. Like with the was it the the bunkers underground bunkers being the fashion, right? Uh, Foster Foster your your dead. And it comes up so often in his tales, this idea that people are really just do things because... N- nanny, which is about to, you know, yeah. about a, a neighbor, a suburban neighborhood where basically, uh, what's that? Raytheon is making nannies that are mm-hmm. are fashionable and the parents buy them and you have to get a new one and there's built-in you know, reasons why you have to get a new one. But this is like, uh, you know... I've had like two dishwashers. I think my mom's had like six. <laughs> you know, like um, the, the the corporations want you to dispose of what's a, a planned obsolescence, right? You want to, or your your refrigerator has a Wi-Fi connection, right? Like they're trying to do stuff, um, and advertising creates fashions in a certain sense. Now there are anti-fashions, right? There isn't a vegan. Uh, ad on TV every five minutes, but now there's products to service what was an organic, um, no pun intended there, uh, you know, a bottom-up sort of fashionable thing that came into existence. And, you know, you say, oh, 
veganism isn't fashion, Jesse. Uh, okay, but things come wane and, you know, drinking alcohol used to be more popular than it is. Things come and go. And we don't know why exactly, but we do know that the behaviors are consistent. And Well, I, I, I don't disagree with you that veganism might be a, a fashion and a trend, but good things can be fashionable. And uh, no, no question, no question. Um, I'm, I'm not even saying it's bad or good. I'm just saying that it, it, it is a, a happening, right? In the, and in, in the same way we're discussing, you know, uh, New Zealand banning cigarettes, uh, and their way of doing it is to make it so anybody past, born after 2008 can't buy them. Is it a good thing? Kind of. But it's also a bad thing. Kind of. The bad thing is government shouldn't be telling you what to do to your body, right? <laughs> and, they, uh, they, and they're all going to vape anyway. Like, uh, well, that's the thing, right? You have yeah, to be like, you have to be really careful because when when you suppress stuff, uh, other things happen. So, in, uh, one of the things I, uh, that's interesting about British Columbia as well is uh, for the longest time, the only way you could get your alcohol was at the British Columbia liquor store. It was it's still around and it's owned by the government. You go to the government liquor store and you buy your government liquor there. Now, there started up uh, cannabis stores as well, but there's a it's a mixed model instead of it only being you uh, British Columbia cannabis stores, right? I I think if you want to, you know, allow people to do what they want, which is what we probably should do most of the time when they're not hurting other people. You should probably try to minimize harms and maximize gains. Right? <laughs> so um, I don't think having alcohol, sir, like you guys, I believe in the States, have alcohol available at like the 7-Eleven and stuff, right? It's a state-by-state -state model. Some states actually do have a state liquor store. Right. So most of the grocery stores around here, uh, they're, it's starting to change a little bit, but most of the grocery stores don't sell alcohol, and they don't. Uh, most of them don't sell cigarettes either. Um, there's a lot of restrictions, and those things are designed to shape our behaviors. On the other hand, we have a collective model where we pay for our health care collectively, and if you are going around causing a lot of uh, arrows to be shot into people's arms – that's going to cost me a lot of money if that arrow clinic is, is um, you know, free at the point of use. And so the idea of shaping people's behaviors, I think smoking is bad, Evan. I think you should absolutely smoke as much as you want, and I think it's bad. <laughs> but I also know that it's good for regulating brains that uh, have problems. Some people on literally need cigarettes to control their bodies and they haven't found other drugs that do that as well as they would like them to on the other hand it causes cancer but not in everybody uh, bob dole died at 98 he was a lifelong smoker right so it, it, some people who don't smoke get lung cancer what we shouldn't do is go around telling everybody what they have to do and and force you know throwing <laughs> The fact that there's going around looking for little kids to throw in, this is the kind of like horror that really gets under your skin. I found myself super creeped out about the little boy hiding the in the blackberry bushes because he's he's he can't do algebra. Right? I mean and the fact that his parents didn't have the right kind of license. 
uh, talk about kids in cages, yo. This is literally stuff that happens, right? People do separate kids from their parents. And they and the people working there, they might think that they're just doing their job. But they're doing something else, too, which is traumatizing creatures. And this is a very not just about Philip K. Dick being a misogynist, I think. And I think mm-hmm. reading it only that way is or even a majority that way is kind of a mistake because although that is what the story is ostensibly about, and I think it is that, it's not the only thing going on there. And I think he's really pointing to a lot of the things that make it so complex and such a hot-button issue. Um, I I have... Uh, I actually sent this to... I don't think I sent it to Will, but years ago, 2017, I found a uh, article... Um, by Terry Carr. You guys know who Terry Carr was? No. Really? No? Okay. Uh, Terry Carr was, he, he had like a, he, he was a dude. You might not tell by his name. Um, he was a dude. And he uh, he was involved. Uh, the way, main way I think of him is he was an editor of paperbacks. But he did a guest editorial. I think it was a guest editorial in Amazing um, in November 1975, and uh, it's basically uh, very long talking about the relationship of women in science fiction, which is funny because it's a guy saying it, right? But um, it's kind of like that Joanna Russ letter um, that we hear about. <laughs> but uh, this is from uh, November 1975, Amazing. Um, uh, here is deep into the article, or editorial. But there are... Uh, But there are still stories appearing that display some odd ideas about women. The most startling example of this was a novelette by Philip K. Dick that appeared in the last year in fantasy and science fiction called The Pre-Persons, as it happens. It's a very clever, witty story, as you might expect from Phil Dick. I think that that's reasonable. And I think even Will can get deep into agreeing that it is witty, even if it's horrible. Um, yeah, I mean, I like. I think that as as long as we're acknowledging that it's horrible, I think that it's witty. Right? Um, <laughs> well, we'll start like, what with is the, what is the wit in the service of? Is is I, um, yeah, yeah. I think I yeah. What I is think, the art doing? I think that's just part of his personality, but we keep going. Um, uh, who's one of the best writers in science fiction today? But <laughs> it's also well. Let me tell you a little about it. The time is the not too distant future. Uh, when the United States has passed a law making it possible for parents to have their children executed at any time up to the age of 12, at which point a child is legally defined as having a soul and therefore ineligible for execution. The rationale is that once a kid can do higher math, like calculus, then he or she has a soul. You might assume this has nothing to do with sexism, since it isn't only male children who get snuffed out, although in the story it is, right? But girls, too. However, the story is actually a protest against the liberalization of abortion laws, which is primarily a feminist issue. And the villain of the story is the hero's wife, who's depicted as a castrating bitch, who's completely lacking in maternal instinct. At one point, she says to her husband, let's have an abortion. (laughs) Wouldn't that be neat? Doesn't that turn you on? She isn't even pregnant. She wants to have her IUD removed so she can get pregnant, so she can have an abortion, she says. It's the in thing now to have an abortion. 
A little while later, the hero wonders to himself, where did that mother's, uh, where did the motherly virtues go? When mothers especially, uh, when mothers especially protected what was a small and weak and defenseless. And he decides that the problem is, quote, our competitive society. (laughs) When this story appeared, a, a number of women took exception to it. So did a number of men. Still, you have to admit, it was a story that couldn't have been written for a 1940 science fiction magazine. Even misunderstanding between the sexes has achieved a degree of sociological sophistication since the early days. So that's it's part of the larger article. Now, I notice that it, it, in the context of this story, it's about this being a feminist sort of topic. And obviously, uh, women are the ones who ultimately decide to get abortions or not, right? So it seems to be a feminist issue. But that don't mean men aren't involved. And I think that Philip K. Dick's involvement is basically, he's really upset. Um, But I want to also point out that in Philip K. Dick's uh, own story here, there's a, uh, uh, I keep going back to the ice cream man, um, when you the, just love this ice cream man. <laughs> oh, he's so it's so scary, Will. Like uh, hide, hide I used to have to hide from people because they would beat the shit out of me, right? Um when you're a little kid and you and there's an uh, adult or somebody who's bigger than you who can beat the crap out of you, you need to hide and that fear is real. Right? <laughs> Thinking about, you know, being so fearful. Um and you know you're a kid, so you don't know how the world works and how, you know, what you, what your options are and all that stuff. So one of the things that the, when the dad shows up and the kid's about to be put in the uh, abortion truck, um, he says, um, he says, uh, there's all these phrases, right? Uh, put to sleep. Remember that? So this is uh, one of the euphemisms we use. Uh, the the we had to have our doggy put to sleep, and I was just thinking about your. And I'm not trying to make you cry or anything, Will. I'm just thinking. I was literally thinking about your doggy yesterday, being on the couch, and I was saying to my mom, "Your dog Lucy is 15 years old," and she said, he, "She must be a little dog." And I said, "Absolutely." Um, and it's like this is. Oh, and she. By the way, she said there are di- diapers for dogs. You might want to consider that. I didn't know that. Yeah, that it's thing. it's a thought that has happened. You um, should definitely. <laughs> and then she was it. Uh, she greeted us this morning with a lovely birthday present for me. Oh um, no! All over the floor. Oh um, no! Um, uh, she also said that um, that uh, <laughs> was it. Her, I think it was. You need to. Um, <laughs> no, that was yesterday. We were on the podcast. Um, uh, was Alan said um, you need to. Uh, you need to pee, pee on, on the that couch <laughs> to show you the, your dog who's boss. <laughs> uh, only, only I can pee on the couch. Lucy. <laughs> That's right. This is my couch. I get to pee on it. You pee outside. Um, so, like, when you take your dog uh, to the vet because your dog's sick, you're you're going to be confronted with a bill. You're going to be thinking about your dog's pain. This is a natural thing that happens as dogs get older, right? We all know this. Yes. Um, you're going to have to make a decision. Am I going to have my dog, quote-unquote, put to sleep? But that euphemism helps tell you that you should, because sleep is a nice thing. 
when you say I'm going to, uh, should I have my dog executed? That's going to put your thoughts in another direction, isn't it? And so when this author, uh, this editor, Terry Carr says, have their children executed, he's playing the same game that Philip K. Dick is playing, but he's not playing it as well because he's only seeing the one thing. Now, honestly, this is not an essay about Philip K. Dick's story. It's only an essay about how women are treated in science fiction and how feminist (laughs) science fiction is or isn't, right? And it's written by a dude, so whatever. Um, (laughs) The important part is um, Joanna Russ gets an apology from Philip K. Dick because he's very sensitive and he comes to agree with her. (laughs) And the fact that you know, we've got a very unsensitive uh, ice cream man who wants to murder a little kid. Like, he thinks it's just as fun as returning uh, milk bottles, milk cartons, right? That's fucking sick. But notice the dad, when he gets in the, uh, the he's talking to, gets into it with the ice cream man, he says, um, uh, you put people to sleep. Uh, oh, no, he says, you want to take my son to the pound. And he says, uh, the ice cream man says, that's a, uh, a slur by hippies, a hippie slur, right? Is it? When you don't use the official words that other people like, is it a slur? Am I being unreasonable when I say you're having my son executed when my wife wants to get an abortion because we had a fight? I would say this is a bad relationship to begin with, and we shouldn't be shooting arrows around uh, willy-nilly, right? But ultimately, it's her body. I All I can do is be upset and try and argue with her. And so the fact that the woman is, I think, it, it, the way you read this story, like the way um, Terry Carr is reading the story, he's reading the woman as being like a shrewish horror and i think she is but i think she might be trying to get her husband's goat sort of play against him in the story i read it both ways you see what i mean like when she says i want i want to get an abortion it's the same kind of spring as we get in the opening where uh he saw the abortion truck take a kid for a postpartum down at the abortion place. It's the same kind of spring and trigger inside of us. So couples do that to each other. They kind of like wind each other up and get in. They, there's a famous Philip K. Dick novel uh, opening where the husband uh, is, uh, I think, it, oh, maybe it's Android's Dream of Electric Sheep, uh, where uh, he wants to, um, she wants to have an argument, so she dials the uh, mood organ for a, uh, a yeah, being that's, that's angry. The Android's dream of electric sheep, right? The thing is, it's is that that is actually insightful, right? There are some times when I I I wake up and I'm just combative. I want to have a fight, like today with you, Will. <laughs> I just want to get into a fight. I dialed myself on the mood organ, get into a fight with Will. What emotional state? What combination of uh, brain chemistry will make me? Like that, and then there are other days where um, I guess I got a good night's sleep or whatever it is, and I'm like, oh, whatever, everything's fine, you know. And we regulate our brains. Uh, at Penfield, right? Penfield mood, mood organ, um, who's a real guy. 
Um, anyways, uh, regulating our brains using drugs, right? Caffeine and marijuana and cigarettes and uh, there's something called kratom. I've never tried that. Don't know what it is. But people do this all day long. They they love to do this, and rightly so. They ought to be able to, in my view. But we also don't want to have those drugs be um, causing people to go to the hospital when they don't need to, right? And so it's kind of like saying that this is a, a misogynist story is kind of reading it uncharitably is what I would say. Yes, it, it has uh, elements of misogyny in there. But Philip K. Dick loved women as well as hating them. <laughs> yes? Yeah, well, I mean, I don't think we have to, like, come to an agreement about this. Um, uh, you know, I, I was also prepared. <laughs> yeah, we don't have to come to a consensus either. Oh. Um, but that's okay. Um, you know, the, we, we're a pluralistic uh, podcast, I think. Um, you know, and we don't have uh, Scott here today who would have a different view about abortion also. Um, yeah, I, I, I assume he would. But uh, Paul, you know, is Catholic, too. And he's he has the opposite. I'm yeah. not even sure what I'm not actually sure what Scott's is. I know. Yeah. He, he, Scott, Scott got a divorce and then you're not supposed to do that. Oh, OK. Well, um, and then he to... remarried and and, you know, he's he's all good with the nuns now. But I don't know how. He squares that circle. I don't know how yeah, they squared well, so it. I, I'm sorry to make assumptions about Scott here on the yeah, podcast. Yeah, no. It, it, yeah, like I don't know the answer to that question. But yeah, but what I, I think mean it would is be we sophisticated. Don't have to have just uh, we don't have to have just like one reading of this story. And I think the misogynist reading of this story is like one that a lot of people had of the story yes. back when it was written. And like, you know, is one that I have of the story. And, you know, there's lots of like clever things that you can enjoy about the story. Um, I understand that, um, but I do think that like sophisticated though, not just the, clever. Like well, what I, I like about the story is not just the clever things. I, yeah. I think it's a really, it, it's a pretty intriguing story to me about about ageism. I, I think that's what I, I think get that's out of this a story. little More undercooked. But I, I I can see why I you don't would... think it's undercooked at all. I think it's the whole point. Like society's punched down on children. That's true. Even with the euphemism things, like here it's putting to sleep or mm -hmm. destroyed, whatever language they use. But we we have this language that we use towards children that we would never use towards adults, like a uh, bully. You, children are bullied or they're molested. We don't right. use the word, you know. I guess legally you could still say rape, but we have this word. Well, that child was molested. Right. But if it was an adult, we'd say that person was raped. Right. Um, or like go to school. I don't know what the real, what we really would should call that, but imprisonment. You know, it's not work or imprisonment, something like that. We use these, we do use euphemisms to cover up what we do with yes. children all the time. Yes. And I think our whole societies tend to punch down on children. And I think that's what this story is getting at. Even if it's not that far under the surface, in my view. And it, I, and I don't think it's as unrealistic as, like, it, it seems to be a story designed, it, it, like, literally, even to me, it seems to be a story designed to argue against uh, abortion. But I don't think it's a story arguing that abortion should be illegal. I think it's saying abortion should be um, not happen. <laughs> and and that that is a different thing. It's it's very much 
because he's saying that this is government enforcing abortions as opposed to making it legal to allow abortion clinics to exist, right? And that men can't intervene with their wives going or girlfriends or whatever going and getting one. Um, so uh, there's a section here I just st- stands out to me. Uh, this is on page 133 of the original magazine publication. I know you guys don't have that, but uh, I did send you the e-text, I think. Um, uh, but what are we... What, what we have now is not enough children. Or don't you watch TV or read the Times? It's a drag, Cynthia said. For instance, today Walter came into the house freaked out because the abortion truck cruised by. It's a drag taking care of him. You have you have it easy. You're at work, but me? So this is obviously a selfish woman. She's winding her, her husband up, um, possibly. Uh, it could be she's just stating the facts as she sees them. Um, this is Philip K. Dick's view of of a woman, uh, and this is in his most misogynistic mode, right? And then we get this. You know what I'd like to do to that Gestapo abortion wagon? Have two ex-drinking buddies of mine armed with bars, B-A-R-S. Those are... Um, uh, so, um, uh, Beast uh, is the company name. Automatic rifles. They're basically uh, machine guns. Uh, big, heavy machine, World War II machine guns. Uh, bearing? I can't remember the name. One on each side of the road. And when the wagon passes by, right? You think about, like, how fucked up that is. He wants to murder a guy. But the reason he wants to murder the guy is because of what the guy's doing, not because of what the guy believes, right? It's a ventilated, air-conditioned truck, not a wagon. Notice how she's litigating this? (laughs) She's litigating it on the terms, right? What it is. It's a facility. It's not a prison. It's a correctional institute. It's not a prison, right? So, you know, this is a reform area, right? Uh, This is the kind of uh, logic that allows uh, AOC to show up at the kids at the border cages, have her photo shoot, and be crying at all the things that are happening inside there. And then when the president changes and continues the policy of the previous president, say nothing and not go there and cry and have her photo shoot. That's fucked up, right? So we have to really engage with the idea of, of. Uh, I agree that there is this this. Um, it, it just doesn't seem to be the focus, and like you're laser focused on it, Evan, of the age, mm-hmm. but it absolutely is. So the fact that the father gets in there and he, it's a, it's kind of a clever, um, uh, although I think ridiculous, um, situation where he says, "I don't have a soul. I need to get on the truck too." Um, this is like uh, when the, you know, they show up for Anne Frank and uh, says, I'm secretly Jewish too, and they all get on the truck, right? I'm Spartacus moment. And the thing is, is people don't willingly submit to going to the concentration camp and getting the Zyklon B, right? They don't want it. Some people will do things that will hurt themselves, light themselves on fire to protest something right and some people will hurt others but if you ignore like just the you say it's only one way um and obviously in the states with you know uh uh, this is a hot button issue 
politicians love this stuff because it allows them to divide their base and rally the troops and all that stuff. But whether what what really matters is noting what's real and that um, people do get upset and sometimes it's rightly so and sometimes it's wrongly so. And figuring out what, what to be upset about is is kind of like important. And I think that's why it's so important when the kid steps on the bad bug, it's not a big deal. It's just a casual thing. Whereas when uh, we, what's the ice cream man say? Basically, he says, um, you're a, a normal looking kid. It's only the re- retarded kids and the deformed ones or something. He doesn't use those words, but that don't get adopted and don't get, uh, uh, you know, we'll give you a haircut, right? And now I don't, I would assume that, that what he's saying is at least partially true, that people do get adopted, yeah, there seems to actually be like a shortage of children. Right. Right. This it's we're in a past zero population growth in this, even though there's still Malthusian nonsense, you know, spoken by characters like there's a shortage of stuff. We're in a but, mixed mode as uh, as they are. Right. Yeah. But this is this is like a Japan at this point. Right. Mm. Where there's not enough children being born. So there are couples who are richer couples to stop. Right. Yeah. So it's a class thing again. I want I want to be the thirty seven year old man getting adopted in. <laughs> but that's in another story. interesting thing he's saying about institutions is even beyond whatever logic they might have had. Let's say there was a Malthusian crisis in the past that justified all this. Mm-hmm. It when it, you pass it, but still the machine goes on, right? Like the laws don't go off the books, and people can become committed to it. It's like you know, after the first year old War One, you know, people they keep fighting because that's what we're program well, that's what we're doing everything is set towards that even though whatever rationale there was for the war is long gone what, what do you think of the frontier aspect of this uh vancouver and vancouver island being the frontier oh, the, well I, I just i this is this is kind of sad because there's it's that's how it ends right yeah they're just talking about this as a dream and we're never going to go there's there. no vancouver you're never going to get there they're trapped in the system and the wife won't let them go uh, well, yeah, the yeah. wife won't let them go. But 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 what what really is the issue is they are not strong willed enough to do any of the things that they want yeah. to do, right? So, and uh, there is actually an aspect in here um, that is very uh, Jordan Peterson esque, the uh, women sort of coming to dominate society, um, uh, female energy sort of thing. But uh, the ending um, that uh, so it says um, Ian Best. That's it interesting name as he drove said we'll never get there to british columbia and vancouver island and stanley park and english bay and where they grow food and keep horses and where they have the ocean going ferries no we won't ed gantro said not now not even later not ever ed gantro said that's what i was afraid of this is two adult men right Mm -hmm. who are acting like the little boys at the beginning Stepping on the bugs and talking about what 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 they want to do to the they want to firebomb the trucks they want to get revenge they want to kind of escape the powerlessness uh, that they feel in the face of this this ice cream man who can literally have them executed and he's got gas or you know suck the lungs suck the air out of their lungs that's what I was afraid of Beth said as his voice broke. 
and his driving got funny. That's the second time somebody was crying in a truck in this story. That's what I thought from the beginning. They drove in silence then with nothing to say to each other. There was nothing left to say. Super sensitive guy. I wonder if there's an argument to be made that if if an egalitarian marriage is even possible. Like for most of human history, obviously, it was a way of dominating women Mm -hmm. and controlling their productive and reproductive lives. It depends on the culture. And then it's after you get feminism and you get, in theory, a more egalitarian relationships, you get the Jordan Petersons and you get this story. You get this idea that it's the men who are the real ones under control, right? And and then somehow marriage controls men even like keeps like that was the the, the anti-adultery laws in Taiwan, which were just put off the books now mm-hmm. were kind of when people said, we got to get rid of this. This is stupid. And then people would come out. Oh, it's, it's, we need to control these men and protect families. Mm. So um, completely reverse of how marriages were through most of human history, which was about, we got to control these women, right? We got to put the veil on and, there, are, the, the there, are, there's a you know native traditions uh, in North America and Canada spe- specifically. I know of some where it was female dominated, maternal. Men are there. They 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 have a special role. You know they're the warriors. They mm-hmm. you know uh, the, it's like an initiate. It's kind of like more like uh, Sparta in a certain sense. You've got the women's sphere and they do all the. Not just the cooking, but more like the um, the planning, like what we're going to do and here's how we're going to do it. And the men are in a sub- submissive role, um, even like with marriage. Like mm-hmm. you petition the mother's parents for a marriage and, you know, the girl has to want but it. You, and But you're still sort of describing a kind of domination. It is an a absolutely that's a domination. There's like, but my point is, yeah, it's not... of egalitarian marriages. And, and that's my point, is that that it isn't, uh, you know, to say that misogyny is the... or uh, it was paternalism, whatever it is, the male domination of society. Pater- is that paternalism? I think it is. Um, is patriarchy. Patriarchy, that's the one. The patriarchy is the problem, is to sort of fundamentally misunderstand that Everybody wants to be in charge, right? And so if you're on the team that allows uh, men to be in charge, um, you're going to be uh, on that team. And if that allows you to become Margaret Thatcher and dominate in a man's sphere, that's fine too, just as long as you keep us in power, whatever that is. And it's it's not so much about gender as a much as I want power, this is a way to get power, and in a, I'm not sure if everyone wants power over. Oh, I I agree. I think, I agree I think that power not, over one's life is. I agree is, that not everyone wants power, uh, especially political power, because I'm not, I'm not a person who does. But I don't want to be dominated by others, and that sometimes asserts itself in a kind of like independence, which could manifest itself into uh, dominating of others. And so there are people who you know. So many of my students are, uh, you know, they're taking quote unquote leadership classes. Dude, there's nothing more fucked up than a leadership class because yeah. it's so fucked up. It's it's designed to get you, you know, what can I do to inveigle myself into the reins of power? And that's that that's the most seriously fucked up thing. So if you go into a relationship saying I want to dominate it, um, 
good luck with that relationship. Uh, you know, I don't want to hang out with you. But it is it is the case that we do have spheres of domination. No, right? but it's 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 easier to do that if the institution itself is defined in hierarchical ways. Oh yes, so, that's why marriage. Yeah, you don't has go to into be... a marriage saying I want to dominate this person, but I got this quote of Hammurabi which tells me you know that's why states are involved in why marriages. Men are in charge of this relationship, right? The fact that there is a country that enforces. Uh, who can get a license or a, a province or a you know county? Uh, you have to get a marriage license. Uh, is kind of fucked up, right? But it's all yeah, part right. of that system that is like we have to know how to solve these problems, and by having formal contracts, which literally a marriage is, right? It's it's a formal contract that you have to get out of in a certain way. And puts obligations that you choose to put on to yourself, as long as it's not a forced marriage, right? Um, is is very odd, and and so I don't think that this, uh, uh, you know, reading Philip K. Dick as a misogynist, um, I'm sure there are misogynists, right? I'm not sure. I I think there probably are misogynist people out there. That's all they do all day long is be misogynist. But Philip K. Dick is that's only part of his story. <laughs> Yeah, I don't very think small you have part to, of it. I don't think you have to like I don't think like you you're very focused on like if I say the story's misogynist you have to say that like that's not the only element of Philip K Dick as a it's person. It's just so not I don't think I I don't think I've said that the only element yeah, no, of Philip no. K Dick is that he's a misogynist. Like you keep returning to this point. No, it's I, just I because know, it's, it's so interesting. I agree with Will on this. I think this is a misogynistic story. I think but. that there's absolutely a misogynistic element, but it's so so interesting what's so interesting is that you could have a story like this that's a lot more misogynist and a lot less interesting the the interesting stuff is what i'm interested in i think the misogyny is a product of his frustration and it gets him to thinking the interesting thoughts that he has in here you you see like i think that that's the it's kind of like when you're reading lovecraft right you you read a story like the white ape um <laughs> The uh, Arthur uh, German story, I've mentioned Arthur it German. to Will, right? Um, the facts in the case of uh, Arthur German and his family, the fact that he's got an ancestor who's a ape. People read that as a uh, racist story, and I guess you can read it that way. But what's so interesting to me is that he's thinking really, really, really hard about what your relationship to your ancestors is. And his conclusion is is faulty, I think. But the thinking process is not. And the fact that he turns it into a suspense story, uh, we're going to find out why this guy killed himself and why in such a horrible way, what was in the box, what's in the box, right? It's the same way when you watch the movie Seven, what's in the box. But I don't think uh, the serial killer in there has a legitimate reason for putting the lady's head in the box other than to make the audience feel suspense. Whereas I, f I feel Philip K. Dick's um, whole setup here is coming out of a real place. That serial killer in, in the movie Seven, I don't know. Is it Kevin Spacey? I think it was Kevin Spacey. <laughs> People probably have uh, uh, certain feelings about now that they didn't before or whatever. Uh, Kevin Spacey being like this horrible serial killer who's killing people um, for creative reasons, basically just to make an entertaining movie, 
uh, Philip K. Dick didn't write this story to write an entertaining story. He wrote the story because he has some serious uh, problems and he wants to express them and he doesn't know how to do it. And so he writes a story and they come from a real place. It's like, you know, um, I've never got divorced, Will. Um, Evan, I don't think you've ever gotten divorced, right? But nope. you've met people who have been divorced and they're really fucking bitter about it, is what I find. Maybe there's some people who already got divorced and it was very amicable. But it's it's like a life mistake, right? They fucked up. They screwed up. And they over time, eventually, they come to feel like, uh, maybe it wasn't so bad or maybe it was a good thing, ultimately. Or maybe they reconcile or whatever. There's, uh, there's probably lots My of My divorced ones. friends like are pretty happy they're divorced. Yeah, general, but see... Uh, but looking back, uh, 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 over time, they're divorced. But at the time of divorce, they tend to be very angry and bitter. Yeah, I have a friend getting divorced right now, and she's she really focuses on the, like the lost time. Like, yeah, it's the twenty it, years. It's it's like uh, she, she doesn't see, she sees that as as a waste of time. Well, yeah, a waste well, of he, life. He came out as gay like after twenty years of marriage. Wow, wow, and. I can see that as being a bitter... And eventually just walked away. They tried different arrangements to get it to work and eventually just left. Right. So uh, when you're in that situation, being full of hate and anger and stuff, it's not uh, probably good for you to feel that way, but it's comprehensible. It's comprehensible. Mm -hmm. Uh, Philip K. Dick loved too much (laughs) of the five wives, right? He just loved too much. Mm-hmm. And and it, it, he both loves and hates women. So the misogyny absolutely is present, but I think it's what spurs... It, it's coming from a real place, and it spurs the very interesting thoughts that he has and is wrestling with. And what does he ultimately conclude? It's that there is nothing left to say. I'm done with this. It's like he's working through the idea. So the you know the fact that somebody could read this story and get a bar automatic uh, uh, whatever automatic rifle it's called um, and line it up on an abortion truck and pull the trigger or firebomb a abortion clinic, which you know has been done in real life. Um, there's also the possibility people read this story and come to the conclusion as it's a very long Philip K. Dick short story, an hour long, um, maybe we just have to muddle through like these guys do. And the thing is, is that looks to me like dystopia at the end, right? But he's also set up a false reality. And <laughs> coming out of a false reality, when I read a dystopia, I see, whew, glad I'm not living there. You know? It can be a positive thing. So, yeah, I, I, I will agree. This story is misogynist, but only part of it. <laughs> that's not, and that's not the focus. I think your broader argument is that the, like, you can't, like, the misogyny is so integral to the story that yes. you can't, yeah, like, and, uh, like, I'm willing to accept that the misogyny is, like, integral to the story. That mm-hmm. seems true. Um, uh, Evan, do you remember the pre, uh, not pre-persons, um, uh, the crawlers very well? Because I, I only remember. Yeah, I do. Okay, so uh, it's the same. Uh, there's fetuses hiding in the wood. There's mutants. 
Um, they yeah, they were a, kind of yeah, it was kind of a mutant story, a post-human story, and um, they're but so they were fetus-like. They were definitely fetus-like, and you get like bonus points for running them over. Um, mm-hmm. it, it's it's kind of a like it's a similar vibe, but much earlier. And uh, so I, I think we need to do the chromium fence and the crawlers. And I know the crawlers is public domain. Don't I don't think the chromium chromium fence, fence is, is the same time. It's like yeah, fifty four. Yeah, almost all of his stories of are from then. I think it's it, maybe it's it. Yeah, it might be fifty five when he slows down writing short stories. It's it's. It's a really good. Yeah, story. that one deals with fashion. Um, but I think there is this an element of like either you like your brain is wiped if you don't follow along with the trends or something like that's going on in the, in the story. I I think more, I, I still think though that you you guys don't think ageism is as big as a part of the story as I do, but maybe that's because I've read so much Phil Dick and I thought so much about him that he's, that's an issue he thinks a lot about. Well, he, in, he's definitely in the hits Fox it a lot thing, harder. In a lot of his stories in Dr. Futurity, it shows up. Uh, there's a lot of age politics oh, in yeah. his mind. And, you know, he he plays with, like, this gerontocracy stuff quite a lot in his novels, too. Absolutely. So I think there's something in his mind about institutions and societies being just by their nature oppressive to young people uh, we don't know the story fits into that we don't know that much about his mom right we know sometimes she was mean to him or at least he thought so um he was raised independently of his father right his father lived in dc or something um she sounded like she was not fully supportive 100 percent nicest mom ever that might be his perspective but it's probably a combination of uh how he felt about it and how it actually was a lot of uh, women, especially uh, in the 40s, who are raising a son uh, alone, have to have a career. And one of the things that happens in here is the wife says, you're off at work. Um, I'm at home with him, taking care of him. Raising kids is very expensive. Uh, hence, a lot of people not having them. Right? Um, expensive in energy, expensive in time, and expensive in cash. Here, the problem is, uh, part, in part, I think it's resentment towards the husband for not being around and help, helping take care of the kid. That's why we get that stuff about the... She's basically taunting him by saying, I want to get an abortion, right? She, she says something like, wouldn't it make you... Wouldn't that make you hot and bothered or something? Um, that is not... That's her being cruel, deliberately cruel. Now, does she believe it that she's going to, you know, actually follow through with this and, you know, get her IUD removed so that she can get pregnant, so that she can have an abortion? That's this kind of thing you do when your marriage is breaking up, right? You're trying to get them to quit. You're trying to get them feel feel some power. So... It isn't only um, Philip K. Dick uh, making her ungovernable in a certain sense, or not governable, unreasonable uh, in a certain sense. It's also her acting out in the way that the husband wants to, wants to act out, 
or the husbands want to, or the fathers, I guess, want to act out. This is a very, very good story. And another one, super surprising, I didn't know, uh, with a lot of kid perspective, which, again, is something almost unheard of in science fiction. There's almost never any short stories with kids as the main characters, and they're almost all by Philip K. Dick. That's something really important. I think you're right, Evan. There is something going on. There are ageism things going on here, but I think it's so much to do with that that power uh, of adults and laws and things outside of you that are telling you how to feel and what to do. And- well, I think it's bad for everyone, Jesse, but I just children are just... They're the lowest totem pole. Yeah, they can't respond to it. They're less able to. I mean, some literally can't because they're like, they need someone to feed them. Yeah. <laughs> you know, or or something like that. But, um, you know, but there's all sorts of restrictions that they face throughout their life and extra burdens, things you couldn't do to adults. Like you have to sit eight hours and listen to boring people talk mm-hmm. to you. Yeah, no, it's, it's horrible. I've, I've experienced it myself and I, I try not to inflict it on, on kids. I'm, I feel like I'm going into the, yeah, that's my, and- that's my problem as that's why I was thinking about this, this hierarchy thing, this idea that people want to like have, control it's like that's what i struggle with trying to teach these younger kids because i Mm -hmm. have to teach seventh graders now Mm -hmm. is my 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 i guess i go in thinking if you want to learn you want to learn right and i don't really care but they're young enough that if they don't want to learn they tend to do other things that are distracting to other one also then the where you know and you can't officially you cannot officially say you can do what you want in a way that's fair to everyone without being a tyrant and, but also, like, really if, hard. if the principal comes in and you've got a section of kids who are playing with their phones, you're in trouble, right? Yeah. And you can't – so you can't officially tell the kids all the things that they really officially need to hear. Like, my mom should have said to me, Jesse, these tests are bullshit. You should take and – you should treat this like a salad bar. Enjoy the things that you're interested in. Don't enjoy the things that you're not interested. Just bring a comic book. Hide it from the teachers as best you can. I'll support you. I never heard that, right? I never heard that. My mom's a teacher. I had to learn that myself. That was a, this is where my uh, anti-mom stuff comes in. Mom, you should have told me how to deal with this stuff in a way that I could have really understood. Now, the problem is, if she had said that stuff to me, being a kid, what would I have done? I would have said to the teacher, my mom said, I don't have to, you see? So we kind of are in a real bind. The official system that is imposed upon us by government makes us unable to say the things we need to say in order to help the people who need to be helped. And this this took like a lot, big chunk of my life to learn this lesson like, oh, um, there are actually allies out there who are in the system. <laughs> Maybe they work for Raytheon and they're really trying to help. They're trying to reduce the number of strikes on children, right? <laughs> Maybe they're drinking just enough of the Kool-Aid so that they can get into the meetings and try and say, Maybe we ought to not do that, right? There are some good people in the system, but the system doesn't reward that. The system fights against it, and your job is to figure out how best you can help them but you can't like you can't 
say some things directly because if you do it's there you can't do your job of helping people and it's tough too because we also have to live which means we have to pay our bills and the system is such that there aren't a lot of job opportunities uh available for us to just drop and uh turn to what else i'm, I'm very very lucky i think evan's less lucky there in terms of yeah you know, because your like your dream of opening a a tutoring center uh, where you teach the kids what they actually want to be taught. Kids are learning machines; they want to be taught stuff. Mm-hmm. They they absolutely know you know it, I know it. But do parents understand that? No. Why? Because there's a hell of a lot of propaganda telling them all sorts of things that are lies, misunderstandings, and there's a lot of money behind that, right? There's a lot of tutoring centers that it's all about test prep. If you just get enough test mm-hmm. prep, right? And this is this is why you know you have Harvard doing what it's doing, trying to exclude all the Chinese kids and Asian kids because of what they their perceived racism problem is. But they set the system up, and these other institutions are respond. So it's ultimately there is a lot of power at the top, and. Uh, we can set the agenda by controlling the reins. It's very hard to control things from the bottom. All right, guys, I'm going to have to go. It's a good story. Late. Thank you so yeah. much. Good chatting with you, Evan. Yeah. Thanks for talking about the story with me. Thank you. Yeah, I kind for of coming like on. this one. Uh, I, why don't you all take right. a picture of all that uh, uh, IKEA stuff you put together? I like yeah, to see it's that. It's in the other place. Oh, oh, um, I didn't realize. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the weekend. Oh, because I, I'm I work kind of far from it, but yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I'll, I'll be there. I'm looking forward to three weeks there nice. at the new place. Uh, once Chinese New Year comes around, I got four more weeks. Nice playing this game with the seventh graders. Cool. Maybe I wish they would bring in comic books. So they want to bring in their computers. That's that's. Uh, if the if the like you said, if the boss walks by and they're all on their computers, yeah, it's it's a serious, serious, okay. serious problem, and there's no, uh, in a, there's there's these things called alternative schools here. You guys know about those? Mm-hmm. You have them there. Basically, it's yeah, it's my basi- daughter's at one of these alternative yeah, schools. It's the it's the way all schools should be, because yeah, they're. They're interested in helping the kids in whatever way the kid needs to. It's it's about human flourishing and not making office workers in cubicles <laughs> hate who hate their jobs and want to uh, and basically just play computer games or Twitter all day at their hateful jobs. Right? Yeah. It it took teaching you know to make me just want to Twitter and play video games about. <laughs> Well, that I'm you a gotta, teacher. You gotta, tweet, like, you gotta tweet more, Evan. Because uh... when I no, like it used to be when I was in graduate school. When I got home, I'd be like reading, and sometimes I'd watch movies and things. But you know, I would still be doing that stuff because I loved it and I was soaking it up. And now I get home and I'm just like watching TV or Minecraft or something. Watching Minecraft. Wow. I never watch Minecraft, but I, I'll play it. 
It's Lego make stuff. It's That's Lego. somewhat creative, I guess. It is. I guess. No, it's a but, it's it's a wonderful or thing. I just sit there and drink. It's it's. I'm pretty depressed at the end of the day. You know, uh, the, the sitting there and drink is less less good. This has been the SFF Audio Podcast. Please join us at www.sffaudio.com. And thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, consider becoming a patron at patreon.com forward slash SFF audio. So I've got a bunch of books coming. Excellent. Projector. Spend all that money. Improve the economy. Uh, so, um, Marissa is not joining us. Oh, that's a pity. Yeah. I will read her thingy when we get started. What? what? Uh, so, something came up? Uh, ish. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Where is, uh, the schedule? And no one else? Uh, no, we got, uh, Will, Will, I don't think Paul's joining us. He's still at Worldcon, I think. He's still at the Worldcon? Yeah. yeah. And Will has some stuff for that. I looked at the winners. I looked at the Hugo winners. Mm-hmm. At least that stupid blog post didn't win. I was happy oh, to which, see which, that. Oh, which blog post was this? At least they stopped the the, the nonsense that was going on with that, that one award, the related material. Okay. Because what, what? first that... Uh, the data speech one, and then, then this <laughs> blog post rant about Worldcon got nominated. I'm like, oh god, they're gonna give that. It's just gonna be never ending. Good. <laughs> Drama's important for people. Like an actual book, wanted look like they won it this year. Uh, All right. Where's the Will? I'm glad Will's coming. Yeah, he should be here, but he is not added himself. I will try him again. He might be having some... He said he would be ready. Okay. Um, Let's see. Did you do a show on this one? I didn't think to look. Yeah, I did. You must have, right? I did all the stories. Nope. There's still some you haven't. Those juveniles. Wow. Juveniles. And you didn't do that novel. stuff. The combo... Novel. The Ganymede takeover, yeah. yeah. The Ganymede takeover can't be complete if yeah, you don't complete it. And uh, I sent you that. Uh, there was that cat poem I read. <laughs> you're almost, you're almost done. You just have to wrap it all up. Yeah, just. And you should do the audiobook uh, of um, of your dick book because I think you would get a. Um, a lot of, I mean, we get a lot of uh, attention for it, but more importantly, I get to read it. <laughs> I don't do okay. ebooks, bud. I make ebooks, but I don't read them. Okay. I had a photocopy of the original uh, magazine, uh, Fantasy and Science Fiction, where this is published. That the story it was in? Yeah. It's been sitting on my desk for years, and. Do we have Dick's notes about this story? Oh, I didn't think to look. 
Um, um, should be, be able to find it. Find. Hello. Drama. Hello. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, listen to how good Evan sounds with his new microphone. Yeah, I'm here now. So clear, right? Uh, yeah, so, so it's, so it's at the end of the fifth volume of uh, Selected Stories. He has, um, there's some notes. I don't know where those notes were originally published. Probably, probably um, there. I don't know. I mean, yeah. Um, some of them were drawn from other, like. Oh, yeah, yeah. I see what wrote. you're saying. Yeah, and they just put them in the collected books, collected stories. Uh, anyways, I, I more or less remember the gist of the okay. notes, so I can talk about them. I got some stuff. October 1974. All right, Will. Um, you ready to fill me in on what the fuck's going on at Raytheon? <laughs> So, um, so Raytheon has uh, sponsored the red carpet walk at the Hugos this year. It's in D.C., right? Yeah, yeah. I guess they call it Discon for some reason. I don't know why. Um, but, uh, yeah. Probably so discontinuity. Like the, it's they, they do a lot of puns with, right? Oh, oh okay. With, um, so I'm not sure if there's, like, a history of military contractors, like, sponsoring the Hugo Awards or not. Um, that's not something I'm aware of. But it, it does, like, seem kind of interesting in, like, the current climate where we're all very concerned with, like, social justice to, like, you know, accept sponsorship from uh, a company that makes missiles that, like, blows up babies in Yemen, like, <laughs> to, like you know be on the red carpet walk for like the biggest awards in science fiction you are such a um fucking communist <laughs> yeah i here's, know here's and, uh, like, here's here's how such a fucking communist you are if the world con was held in berlin in 1941 you would uh not have your photo taken at the zyklon b sponsored photographer <laughs> uh <laughs> booth how dare you? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, you know, it's, I, I just think it's interesting. Um, uh, and there's like, there's two hot issues. It seems like based on just like scrolling Twitter, I'm not like the biggest, like Hugo awards expert is the other issue is, um, there's a, there's a bid to have the, uh, Hugo awards in China next time. Yeah, and uh, that, so that people I are really upset about that. Obviously, um, so they're they're really, but it's like um, the same people who are upset about China are not upset about um, Raytheon, and the people who are upset about Raytheon are like, we should like not saying that we should like definitely do it in China, but like don't have a problem with doing it in China. Uh, I you sent uh, some direct message somebody's tweets. Um, oh yeah, can you read yeah, that? from Cause... from RS Benedict who, like, she's kind of trying to like make herself out to be like like a big renegade in science fiction. So like, you know, she's like that's my job. Trying to like <laughs> say again. That's my job. Yeah, I know you, uh, but you like um, you don't really engage with the, the mainstream <laughs> of science fiction, whereas like. She's more like trying to like, um, I don't know. I think she's like been victimized by them in some ways, and so is like Who, who's them? Um, you know the the big uh, like the amorphous them. You know what I mean? Um, ah, them. 
Yeah, then, with an account, all caps and an exclamation mark. Yeah, yeah. She got in trouble for like sending some tweets that like said that she didn't like fan fiction and that it was stupid and bad, mm. and like that caused people to brigade her. Um, brigade, I love this so, verb. Yeah, you, you're familiar with brigading. It's like when no. a lot of people come at you online and just like don't leave you alone. Um, it'll probably never happen to you. Um, uh, no. but if it did, you would probably be okay with it somehow. I have some weird uh, Twitter fans, but <laughs> not they don't seem to be in brigades. Yeah. Um, but here's what RS Benedict said about it. Um, is you're okay with holding a con in Chengdu? but not with Raytheon sponsorship? Yeah, because the overwhelming majority of China's 1.5 billion people are lovely and normal, whereas literally everyone working for Raytheon is a demon. Next question. Okay. <laughs> um, uh, she goes on to say, these two things uh, could only be equivalent if the Chengdu conference were sponsored directly by the CCP's Bureau of Evil Oppression <laughs> and you take a selfie with a prison guard or something. <laughs> uh, keep going. Um, yeah, and uh, this is, I'm not endorsing these comments, but then she goes on to say, what about the diaspora writers who said that President Xi will personally drag them off to Room 101? Those same writers said Isabel Fall's story gave them PTSD and that my anti-fanfic tweets made them feel unsafe. We do not have to take them seriously. Uh, somebody got PTSD from a, from a fiction story? Impressive. Yeah, well, you know this, um... You know this controversy around this uh, story, um, I sexually identify as an attack helicopter. I, I've heard about the story title. but Yeah, but this is, this is something that R.S. Benedict is always returning to, is how, like, Isabel Fall wrote this story and then was, like, uh, bullied out of, um, like, mainstream publishing and, like, you know, it was, like, a story by a trans woman about, like, like playing with the idea of gender, using mm -hmm. this, like right-wing meme um and uh people didn't like there were people who were saying this isn't really a trans woman writing this this is a man in disguise um <laughs> dude uh, how do we know the that. difference other than by inspecting their soul <laughs> um uh i mean you you make some points but um <laughs> anyway appropriate for the like, story today Harris benedict is always trying to stir up shit i like good i i you know um uh, like it's definitely like in service of her writing career to try oh. to stir up shit. Uh, never um, mind then. Um, but uh, you know how like you know how authors are online. They like try to stir up shit, or they try to like like it's just um the the shit she stirs is just like more interesting to me than like hmm. whatever like Chuck Wendig used to do or still <laughs> does or. Um, I don't know. He has a phrase or something that he likes. Uh, there's, there's a lot of those phrases. Did you see the one where I, uh, <laughs> I went through, um, uh, a list of all those Twitter sort of, um, what are they? Uh, Twitter memes or phrases that people use. Like, uh, it's so exhausting. Like that one, <laughs> you've seen those people, <laughs> they say, I'm so exhausted. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> Um, when I'm tired, I don't go on Twitter and say, hey, you know what? I'm tired. <laughs> so, people do that. Though. I mean, it's. I feel like people just need to, like, have all of their feelings out on Twitter sometimes. <laughs> like, it's not everyone. Like, 
if I'm not feeling well, I'm not going to get on Twitter and tell you about it. But some people, it's like useful for them, I guess. To, <laughs> no, to, no, it's to a just... it's a thing. It's a it's a performance. Um, let me dig mine up here. I'm I probably told you about this already. Exhausting. <laughs> There's a whole like uh, brigade of um, these expressions. Oh yes, here it is. Um, it's funny to hear you use like lingo. Like it's like it's like almost right sometimes. Here's here's one. Listen to this one. This is so I, I just it struck me out. Like I saw someone use one of these phrases, and I'm like, "You are so <laughs> stupid." <laughs> so I said, "I don't need. I don't need. I don't know who needs to hear this, but a barbican can, in fact, include a portcullis." <laughs> that's the, I don't you know, know who needs to hear this is definitely one of yeah, them. So that's one of those ones that I I see people using. I don't know who needs to hear this. I I, I guess the, so normalize they, normalize. Oh, I haven't oh, I haven't used that. Okay, I got to add that. Yeah, one to like the list. it'd be like normalize uh, normalize reading old science fiction stories. Or <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And you could maybe put the the claps in between the yes, the claps. Uh, that's my favorite one is the claps. Um, this next one. Um, I just picked the theme of castles because they have weird stuff on them. And, like, nobody cares. <laughs> That's why it's also funny. Gentle reminder that crenellations aren't just decorations. Oh, wow. So, gentle yeah, gentle reminder, reminder is a good one. <laughs> um, here. Uh, Moat and Bailey castles are the best castles. I hopefully won't die on this hill. Oh, yeah. See, yeah, Moat and Bailey are built on hills. It's, good. it's a good one. Um uh, and then I did uh, one of the. I, I found one of those gift maker websites where it has uh, distracted boyfriend, and distracted boyfriend boyfriend is marked investment. Um, the girlfriend with him, who's looking at him contemptuously, is marked uh, contravolation, and investment is looking at circumvolation in a red dress. <laughs> yeah, that one might that one that one might be too castly for me to even get. <laughs> That's, um, I, I was like in desperate. Pretty soon. And then the next one is uh, Batman slapping Robin. You know that one? Oh, yeah, that's a that's a good meme. Yeah, and uh, Robin says, Machiolation. And Batman slaps him and says, Murder Hall. <laughs> <laughs> he, got, he described the wrong part of the castle. And then uh, here's the one I, I searched up. This is so exhausting. Anciante often have postern gates. How many times do I have to explain this? <laughs> <laughs> next one bastions and bulwarks are the same thing nobody on this hell site seems to understand this <laughs> how do you like calling twitter a hell site <laughs> it's so stupid um, these are the only times i use these <laughs> these stupid expressions uh listen to this one not building a bratis during a siege is a weird flex, but okay. <laughs> a bratis is uh, one of those covers over the top of your castle wall so that you can't have shit hurled on top of you while you're doing your siege. Um. <laughs> or getting sieged, I guess. Yeah, you're being besieged. Um, this is one I think uh, a lot of people use. especially uh, Maybe, maybe uh, it was the... Star Trek communist who who does these sort of things a lot. Uh, New Schwanstein. Um, and then a picture of the castle. Uh, that's it. That's the tweet. Oh, that's it. That's the tweet. <laughs> yeah. is definitely... Uh, oh, I did do normalize. Listen. Normalize Orioles. 
Is that a part of a castle too? These are all castle parts. And then how about this one, Will? Nobody, blank. Absolutely nobody, blank. Me, super incumbent turrets. <laughs> That's, well, you know, uh, if you've Is seen, uh, what's that show called? The cartoon one, uh, Disenchanted. Uh, the castle on that one, uh, whatever, the princess who's always drunk. She, her turret is oh, on disenchantment. A, yeah, disenchantment. Um, her turret mm-hmm. is uh, like her her bedroom is on another turret. So it's like a turret that goes on another turret. That's a super incumbent turret. Oh wow! I'm learning things today. Yeah. Uh, you, what? So you? So at some point you just taught yourself a lot about castles. Oh, I mean, I, half of these I I did just for the you know I looked them up. I I knew a lot of these, but. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like, oh. like, how did you? Did you? I just want to know how you started knowing things about castles. Like, I love you castles, like, bud. You're I, like, I like castles. I, I think I'm about gonna... castles a lot. I hope yeah. it's my castle. There's a what's have the one? Have you ever designed a castle? Of like, course, I, I like got. You have like your fantasy castle. Of course, I built. Uh, uh, in drafting class, I got a re- one of my few good marks in school was on a castle I drew. Um, I still have the map if you want to see it or layout or whatever. Um, what's the NPC guy, you know, gray with a straight line mouth and a sort of checkmark nose? Um, uh, three, it's like a force panel NPC. And then there's another guy who says something. So the first image is NPC guy saying something. Second image is just a regular person saying something. And then the next one is he's... Uh, the NPC is gray-faced and just straight-lined, and then he realizes something, and then he's angry. You know that one? <laughs> um, <laughs> you guys maybe. don't know. Okay. Uh, send. How do I send this? There's Will. Send to Evan. Oh, this is. I'm sending you via uh, DM because that's can more convenient. Anyways. Uh, NPC oh, guy okay. says, I'm, "I am familiar with this meme." Yeah, NPC guy says, "Phrygian horses," and then uh, regular guy says, "Abatis." <laughs> He's angry. <laughs> and, and the last one is pretty good. Um, I really love this castle. It's one of those ones where you get a cutaway, and you see inside the castle and all the people doing their business, um, including there's a guy pooping in the the pooping hole. Um, uh, and it says, not a cell phone in sight. People just living in cells. <laughs> Come on, man. That's a good one. I, I, like, I appreciate how much you're enjoying yourself. It's like, like you live in a very special world where, like, you're Draw just like, I can just and... imagine you sitting down to, like, like you, like, flex your fingers. You're like, okay, let's, <laughs> let's do some castle tweets now. And you're like, I'm going to send out, like, 20 castle tweets. Yeah. And, like, I, like, what I love about it is, like, you're, like, almost certainly toiling in obscurity here. Um, <laughs> And, and, but it's like even your like close internet friends are like not understanding your castle care, tweets. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but you're just like, no, this is perfect, it you is, guys. I understand what I'm doing is is the godly and moral thing to do. Just because you guys don't get it, I'll be understood in in 50 years or 60 years or 70 years. They're gonna say, God damn, he was so racist or whatever. But 
But he did he really had something with these castle tweets. People people will read like like people will pass around thumb drives of your collected tweets. Yeah. Yeah. Or I, I guess they can just me, download a torrent of them. No, it'll be like ear drives or something, right? Because we're all be like yeah, you'll just future like future tech. Future tech ear drives. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. I, 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 it's hard, you know, I wouldn't go... Cyber meat. Cyber meat, yes. Yeah, you have to invent new phrase, phraseologies. All right. Um, yeah, so I, I would say, um, Evan, are you going to go to that uh, Worldcon in, in Chengdu? No. <laughs> You're not a Worldcon guy, or it's just too far? Well, Chinese Visa is like $200. What? What a ripoff. Well, shouldn't it be yeah. free? Why do, why do they have to charge money for it? That's what I don't pay for counselor services. I think that's part of the how they pay for it, right? I've never been to China. So. Those embassy. I, I don't think I've ever had. Maybe, maybe, maybe a long time ago I had to pay for a visa for someplace. I'm not used to it. Will, would you go to Chinese World Cup? Like visa free travel or like, you know, that's kind of a big deal. It, it's weird though, because like Taiwan wants to have like good relations with the U.S., but for some reason they charge more for their for American citizens to get a visa. Um, and I don't know if that's like some retaliation, like if. You know, nah, it's only I, it's only retaliation charges. against the poor's, bud. It doesn't affect the like. No, it's like sometimes like if one country raises their visa rates for for the other country then they'll retaliate by by saying okay we're also raising it in your citizens but but who's gonna complain i'm not sure why it's so much but i don't know why the china visa is so much either what about will as a, a fellow communist shouldn't you get like a discount yeah i don't know i don't know if they would fly me in but um uh I like you. You would make I feel a like good. I'm not up enough on the on the science. Well, so they still have COVID regulations. You have to like have two weeks quarantine, probably. Really? Yeah. Wow. If, if yeah, we but get I, to the Omega variant by then. <laughs> I hope. Hopefully, we will get to the Omega variant. That means there's uh, no more. Eventually, well, eventually they'll have to do like it'll go Omega, and then they'll do like Alpha Alpha or something. Oh no! Don't say um, that. Yeah, but. Uh, yeah, I'm just not up enough on the on the current science fiction to like really like get the most out of Worldcon. I feel like. Mm. Um, well, you're I more mean, up on me, it than I am. I think. Yeah, to me, it seems like, like, I could see like the benefit of having the Worldcon in China being like, oh look, like here's like Americans and Chinese people engaged in some kind of common endeavor together. That seems like like a good thing. Um, you know, all things being equal. Um, but, uh, I don't really care where they have Worldcon, I guess, um, is the honest truth about it. Uh, uh-huh. oh, well, uh, I think it, it matters a lot, like Paul and stuff, because it, it's a, it's his excuse to go to places, right? Like, um, it, you know, he's been to New Zealand and that's because they had a convention there, right? Yeah. I mean, it'd be cool to go to New Zealand. I I'm think, like, I agree. Yeah. They like seem to produce like. Like it seems like a cool like like very far away country. What, 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 what do you think about this, Evan? I heard they're trying to eliminate uh, tobacco use in New Zealand. Where New Zealand? Like they're banning New Zealand? it. Yeah, yeah. I think that's that's not a good idea. 
<laughs> Why? <laughs> um, um, we I have don't a push. Think you should. Yeah. Go for it. Personal consumption. I agree with you, but probably. I just um, think that's it's a little authoritarian. Uh, so uh, there's a. And, po- okay, unless they actually like instituted like a, a like get rid of. Like fast food too. Why? Why are mm, mm-hmm. things that really kill you? Get rid of cars; they kill you. I mean, we probably should get rid of fast food and cars, but um, I don't really know what the the method to do that at at this point is. Well, um, you, yeah. But getting one of the ways you get rid of cars is you just don't have streets. Right? <laughs> streets that well, will allow cars. You could do that. You replace you you replace the roads with yeah, bike lanes indeed. and trails and eventually it's really annoying to drive cars in cities and mm-hmm. people stop doing it hopefully and it's like ridiculous like 40% of cities like real estate is streets and parking lots mm-hmm. and, yeah, i mean it varies city to city but it's it's total waste you know to so I, that I, much they committed to cars, and not to mention that people die from it. At you know, so this is what it says. I don't know. See, anyway, I, I just don't see to see. Yeah, go on. I want to hear. Uh, yeah, New Zealand will ban the sale of tobacco to its next generation in a bid to eventually phase out smoking. Anyone born after two thousand eight will not be able to buy cigarettes or tobacco products in their lifetime under a law expected to be en- enacted next year. We want to make sure young people never start smoking, Health Minister Ayesha Veral said. The move is part of a sweeping crackdown on smoking announced by the New Zealand's Health Ministry on Thursday. Doctors and other health experts in the country have welcomed the, quote, world-leading, unquote, reforms, which will reduce access to tobacco and restrict nicotine levels in cigarettes. Quote, it will help people quit or switch to less harmful products and make it much more, oh, shit. I just realized maybe not. Maybe it's just designed to do the vaping. Yeah, I was going to say, don't but they? Oh, vaping is a like tobacco vaping? product too, right? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, a derivative of tobacco? It, it, or derivative of tobacco. for this? Look? Yeah, I mean, it's a good question. So we could go on and on. Um, but one, one thing I noted, there's a podcast I listen to that must have uh, some sort of regional coding for its ads because all the ads I get from it are British Columbia government ads. And there are things like reducing smoke. You know, uh, we're trying to stop people from smoking ads and liquor sales ads and uh, other, you know, provincial ad buys on podcasts, which I, I think is it's interesting as te- technology, but I'm, I'm like, I, I don't really want to listen to ads. And in fact, um, in an unrelated and related matter, my podcatcher had somebody... Uh, they have a Twitter account, and they said um, somebody asked them. They said, "What features would you like to see us have?" And somebody said an ad blocker um, on their app, and they said that is not something we would do. And it wasn't a technical problem; it was like a we work with podcast advertisers sort of response. And I'm like, dude, as soon as as soon as there's another podcatcher that will innovate that i will get that one and say goodbye to you because who are you working for for me or are you working for the podcast podcaster uh advertising alliance in any case um 
You're just jealous because you don't have sponsorships. Like we no. should just get you. No, no. We should just get you a sponsor. Like I've what, had sponsors. What kind of I product don't... would you like to pedal, Jesse? You'd like to pedal like pepperoni. I will <laughs> definitely love pepperoni. Um, you could you could get like you know like you could, I I like, like the pepperoni brands like bidding with each other. There was a, a podcatcher I really liked uh, when I was on iPhone, the iPhone OS called Downcast, and I was like, this podcatcher's awesome. And I contacted the maker of the podcatcher and said, hey, come on my podcast. I want to talk to you about uh, podcatchers, how they work, and oh, you're a great product. And th- this is one I paid for, right? And they said, um, I don't really feel comfortable uh, coming on. How about I sponsor your podcast? I'm like, but that's not what I wanted. <laughs> I wanted to talk to you about, and, and so I said, I guess. Are you sure? <laughs> so I got a podcast sponsorship, not by going to, I mean, I understand why they don't want to, you know, some people don't want to be on a podcast. I get it. But so I, yeah, I, I don't go my sanity every day, you know? Um, uh, no, no, you're fine. I, I think some people like are, it, it's once it's out the door, it's been public. You can, you can't delete it. Right. That, that'd be scary. That's why I assume like Bobby, uh, Deary won't come on my podcast. He says he doesn't do podcasts. I'm like, well, that's no excuse. It's just talking. Maybe to people. he's just shy. Well, I think he operates in a kind of, uh, environment where you can get canceled. I, I don't know that, but that's, you know, if you can get canceled, um, uh, it's bad, right? You, you know, if, um, uh, r- with regard to the Raytheon thing, I heard something really interesting. I think it was last night, uh, talking about how everybody has in DC, everybody has to drink the Kool-Aid. Um, and I, I was thinking specifically about, um, uh, our friend Alex with no last name, pulp covers. He sort of said something to this effect, right? Cause he works, uh, for some DC contractor to the government, right? Or had worked. Um, and we don't know his last name because if he gives his last name, he could potentially risk difficulty, which is crazy. Right. Um, and he doesn't, he doesn't, uh, he doesn't have, uh, his name publicly associated with his pulp covers account, even though it's like a very popular account. He got, like published in the New York times. And whenever he retweets something of my, you know, mine, I get like uh, 200 retweets or, you know, favorites or whatever. So he's not, he's not specifically taking advantage of uh, a way to get famous if he wanted to. Right. He's just enjoys what he does. But the idea of you have to drink the, you have to drink the Kool-Aid, but you don't have to drink it all. You just have to drink some in order to operate there. So in order to, you know, go to work at Raytheon every day, you have to say, well, I'm helping defend our country. I am not responsible for the, where the government chooses to put these bombs. Right. But you're lying to yourself because you know that the company lobbies the government (laughs) to sell these weapons and use these weapons so that they have to buy more. Right. So yeah, you, and I mean, 
some of the defenses for having so the particular wing of Raytheon that is sponsoring the Hugo red carpet walk. I want to be clear about the specific thing they're sponsoring because mm-hmm. it's like it's not the award itself, but it's also like you know if you're like going to go they, like they rented like, a it'll be cameraman. To, yeah, you like get your picture taken with the uh, with like the background that <laughs> from says, the intelligence, like, right? Which which is yeah, Raytheon they're taking photographs space. of you and they're uploading them to their servers. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, maybe for later targeting. Uh, but the uh, I mean, but the defense I saw was like you know like not every part of the company like it's gray. Not every part of the company makes missiles. Listen, I just put the paper labels on the Zyklon B canisters. I don't put make the the chemicals that go into the canisters. Right? Yeah, I mean it's just like, you know, um I don't know. It just seems like My part of the job is to make the warning label that says do not inhale the Zyklon B. Do not inhale. Do not uh, <laughs> uh you know, do not get um in the way of one of these missiles. Um uh, <laughs> no, I mean they they make they make the uh, like predator drone. So they right Raytheon makes I believe it's a predator drone. So they they have like this the camera, right? And they don't always launch Hellfire missiles at all the things they see on the ground. Well, right? Cyclone B had plenty of practical, indeed, legitimate uses too, right? <laughs> indeed, just a it's, pesticide. It's just a pesticide. <laughs> yeah, well, and it wasn't my. Like, what, what if you're like a dist- if you're like a writer of dystopian science fiction, like, like, you know, um, like it's there. There's some like, uh, like how are you like if I were a writer of dystopian science fiction, I don't know how I would feel like posing with the like Raytheon <laughs> intelligence and in space, like background, you know what I mean? It's, um, it's ironic, it, bro. It, it's, it's ironic, bro. Um, uh, but again, I don't know if like defense contractors usually sponsor the Hugo awards. And no, just, I think like, it's just a DC thing, right? It's, uh, you're coming. <laughs> no, seriously. I think, you know, that's it. They, they just, uh, you know, I, I, listen to a lot of podcasts about you know dc brain (laughs) and it's like they just spread money around everywhere like it's like it's fertilizer um then that's what it is like we're supposed to think that it's normal what they do well it is if you spread the money around and uh, all the people who you know are against this stuff uh you know are scooted out of the the place by no jobs and harassment right or just like seem marginal because it's just like what are you doing like my friend virginia khan who uh edits uh the science fiction research association's publication that i can't remember i think it's called the sfra review Mm -hmm. um like she sent the tweet about it saying am i having a stroke like yeah yeah i saw that i guess that's yeah you sent and it's sort of like you know, you kind of risk marginalizing yourself by responding to it if you're like in that world. Um, uh, so, like, that's the like, you know, they hope that uh, you think that they're normal, and they hope that if you like say something bad about them, that you like seem like a lunatic. You are uh, a lunatic if you don't drink some of the Kool Aid, right? You just have to be. We just have to be practical about the shades of gray in the world. If you drink it all, you will die. But if you don't drink some <laughs> of it, you can't get some of that money. 
you know, your life and career depend upon it. This is literally, you know, the, that stupid banality of evil thing where, you know, you're the, <laughs> you're working in the, you didn't want to be on the front lines because you thought it was wrong to, to shoot people. So instead you're working on the concentration camp and your job isn't to, you know, put the Zyklon B in there. You just work the fence line um, and you think about other things and, you know, you think the world will be over soon, right? <laughs> That's, you know, not everybody got, you know, the prison, the prison guards who were just guarding, who weren't doing the experiments, they didn't get all, uh, you know, sent to um, uh, trial in Nuremberg. I think a lot of the guards got put on trial, didn't a, they? A lot of them did, but they, they were usually for, you know, doing uh, above and beyond the call of duty sort of cruelty stuff. Oh, okay. I, I'm like, not familiar with the the Nazi war crimes trials that much. Yeah, it's and you know some of them got uh, coveted jobs in uh, NASA. Right? <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. It's you know there's Nazis and then there's Nazis, Jesse. Yes. Well, you can be denazified if you've got a valuable work uh, to put forward for us. Um. Yeah. But um. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it'll be uh, it'll be interesting to see if anybody has like anything to say about this moving forward, or if it's just going to be like nobody cares about it. Um, yeah, you know I'll, what I mean. I want to want you to keep keep me in the loop as to uh, what happens. Did, did uh, Virginia Khan have a snow have a stroke? Um, <laughs> I, I I don't think that Virginia had a stroke. No. But, uh, How come yeah. everybody else didn't? Yeah, how come everybody else did. Um, yeah, did um, you know? We'll have to find out if some of our friends stroked out when they saw, or if they just kind of. Yeah, I guess uh, it was normal. Did, did Paul win his double nominee thingy? I I haven't looked at the I haven't I looked assumed, at the list yet. I would have. Assumed I assume that, that he I assume that if he had won, he would he have tweeted win. about it. Okay, he so, didn't win a Hugo, so he didn't actually have to face this. This wall. Uh, I think I think that more than the winners walked to the red carpet. Though. Oh, really? Okay. Well, then I want to ask him about that. And, and yeah, and how? Well, they... and like he'll he'll have the he'll have the deets on what the setup was. Hmm. Because you know, I mean, it's it's seductive because you want to walk a red carpet at the Hugos because it's like <laughs> your special time. I mean, seriously. Um, you know, like. Uh, that's like, poison don't science drink fiction it. <laughs> doesn't have like a lot of things like the hugo awards and like you get to be there with like your special friends and like it's you're celebrating something you really care about it's and very so i mean i can get and wrong and poisonous don't don't drink that stuff yeah i mean i like i don't take issue with the red carpet i take issue with the red carpet being sponsored by like the evil missile company uh, well i i think that's just funnier because there's there's the attraction of the red carpet i guess for people and then there's the uh the uh, hopefully detraction a repulsion from the, yeah. the who's sponsoring it sort of like hey i'm getting my photos taken by uh hellfire missile company <laughs> <laughs> uh, they've just killed 10 children in afghanistan <laughs> Are they still killing children in Afghanistan? It's so hard to keep remember track. Remember, the, the last one was B- Biden's pulled out. and Oh, I remember um, that last the, one. Yeah, that, yeah. that was like, uh, no I one, think it was 10 No one kids. did anything wrong, though, Jesse. <laughs> yeah. Well, the, there the was army a, investigated itself. There was like a 1,300, and, a 1,300 
deaths uh, report recently. I think it was even New York Times. Um, yeah, New York Times just had a article yeah, today. Yeah. Hidden Pentagon records reveal pattern of failure and deadly airstrikes. <laughs> Mistakes were made. We are not going to make any corrections. Well, that's not, but you know, it's not Raytheon's fault that their missiles are being used to like <clears throat> have. That's right. It's not their fault. They're, you know, lobbying <laughs> to get these missiles used. So. Yeah. Well, um, why don't we move to a lighter subject? Oh, uh, I, abortion. I, as if. <laughs> yeah, this totally this totally light subject. <laughs> so normally we would have uh uh Marissa and Paul and uh I guess Will, but not not as consistently and Evan if we're going to talk about uh uh not abortion. <laughs> talk about Philip K Dick stories. But Marissa um yesterday contacted me to say do you mind if i skip tomorrow's podcast i'm doing uh this one in the middle of a super stressful christmas crunch and i'm halfway through a story and i hate it <laughs> and my yeah, she sent me the same message. Oh, okay and my brain is too fried to engage with it or talk about it not sure i have the bandwidth to process this one and i said mm. i can see why it might be difficult i will not force you to do a show on it <laughs> winky face and she says, <laughs> thank you. Yeah, I kind of wish I didn't know PKD wrote this. I finally found a PKD story I hate. I said, should, oh, no. we, should we be saying anything? I guess we'll probably this will go in the recording. It'll go in the end or something. Anyways, uh, she says, I guess there had to be one in there. And I said, there's also the crawlers, <laughs> which might be more disturbing. She says, oh, really? I haven't heard of it. We'll investigate this later. And I said, it's shorter. It's like 26 minutes or something. And I sent her the link, and there's a picture. And she says, OMG, the illustration. <laughs> it's a farmer with, a, I think, a rake or a shovel hitting what looks like a, a fetus crawling on the ground. Um, and I, she says, oh, yeah, OMG, the illustration. I say, yep. <laughs> so... Uh, that was, I think, a lot earlier, right, Evan? Is a, that's from like fifteen oh, yeah. or something, right? Probably fifteen, yeah, almost 20, maybe twenty years. Yeah, I've never read this. One's this was pretty late. I've never read the pre-persons before um, uh, yesterday and today. Seventy-four, so. yeah, probably twenty years. Let's uh, do a oh, show on it, shall we? Fifty-four. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So Jesse, uh, Evan, Will, here we go. <laughs> 